Let me try that again. Good evening. Uh, let us call to order the Bicycle and Pedestrian Advisory Commission meeting of February 16th, 2023 at 6.32 p.m. Before we get started, I'd like to remind commissioners of the, some of the procedural items for this meeting. During the meeting, participants should be remain muted when not speaking. If participants have a question or comment, please use the raise hand feature. Speakers will be called upon to speak one at a time. A random order voice vote will be administered by the city staff for each vote. The Bicycle and Pedestrian Advisory Commission meeting is being conducted utilizing teleconferencing and electronic means as allowed by Government Code Subdivision 54953 Sub E and Resolution 108921, most recently affirmed by the City Council on February 7th, 2023. Members of the public may provide audio public comment by connecting to the teleconference meeting online or by telephone. Use the raised hand feature to request to speak online or dial star nine on the telephone. Teleconference meeting details are available on the Bicycle and Pedestrian Advisory Commission meeting agenda. Captions are available to viewers accessing this meeting via Zoom. Captions can be displayed or hidden using the live transcript button. Comments on matters not on the agenda must be submitted prior to the time the chair calls for the item for oral communications. Comments on the agenda items must be submitted prior to the time the chair closes the public hearing on the agenda item. Speakers are requested to keep their comments to no more than three minutes and time limits will be enforced. Guidelines are posted on the Bicycle and Pedestrian Advisory Commission meeting agenda. City staff, may we please have the roll call? Vice Chair Beagle, uh, he's absent today with an excuse. Chair Melman? Present. Commissioner Haveman? Present. Commissioner Dabe? She, she joined us late. Yes. We'll Com count her as a late arrival when she arrives. Okay. Commissioner uh, Bonet? I'm here. Commissioner Owe? Present. So currently we have four present, uh, one absent, and one will be late. Okay. That makes us have a quorum. And so to begin with item number 23-0338, Climate Action Playbook Progress Update 2022. Do we have a staff report? Um, tonight, Madeline... Hopefully I didn't say your name correctly. Um, Kier, um, City of Sunnyvale Environmental Pro um, Programs Manager will provide an update on the city's progress toward implementing the concepts included in the Climate Action Playbook. Okay, I see that she is logging on and getting herself set up. So we will give her a minute or two to get ready. Hi everyone. Yeah, I think I'm ready now. Um, my internet, of course, went out right as I'm joining the call. So uh, calling in via my phone, but I think I can see and hear you all. Okay, can you hear me? Yes, we can. Great, thanks. Okay, uh, with that, I'll go ahead and jump in. So um, yeah, I recently got my name changed. So my last name is uh, Care, pronounced just like C-A-R-E, Care, yeah. Um, but good, good evening, everyone. Um, thank you all for having me. So my name is Madeline Care. I'm the Environmental Programs Manager 
Um, I've presented to this commission in the past as the environmental engineering coordinator. Um, so our team has had a bit of a, a shakeup recently. <laughs> um, so I'm now programs manager um, and we are just now filling up, uh, finishing up the process for recruiting for the engineering coordinator as well as the environmental program specialist. Um, so our staffing updates will uh, you know, point out where that's impacted our work as I go through the PowerPoint. Uh, next slide. Great. <clears throat> so first I'm just gonna talk about our implementation progress updates. Um, so as you all know, in 2020, we adopted um, a climate action scoreboard to um, pr present all of our climate action progress updates on. So it reports our greenhouse gas emissions inventory, as well as the CAP metrics and progress of our various moves. Um, and so you can kind of dig into each of our strategies. We've got six strategies. Um, within each strategy, there are uh, overarching plays with the um, targets or metrics that we're aiming to achieve. Um, and then within each play, we have specific actions that we'll take that will help us achieve those targets and achieve our overall greenhouse gas reduction emissions. Next slide. Um, and so this is showing kind of uh, where we're at and where we want to be with greenhouse gas emissions. Um, the way that the state measures progress in terms of climate action plans is as a percent reduction from 1990 uh, levels of greenhouse gas emissions. So you can see that across the top at the uh, um, million metric tons line there, 1990 levels. That was our 2020 goal set in our climate action uh, plan 1.0 basically. Um, our 2030 target is to achieve 56% reduction below 1990 levels. And that's um, a little bit more aggressive than the state's 2030 target, which is 40% below 1990 levels. Um, and then when our cap was adopted, we had a carbon neutrality target of 80% below 1990 levels by 2050. Um, and just this past September, the state adopted a new carbon neutrality target. So our cap was adopted in line with the state's carbon neutrality goal. The new goal for the state is an 85% um, reduction below 1990 levels by 2045. So it's um, more emissions reductions in a shorter period of time. Um, and so we are currently assessing what that uh, looks like for our climate action plan as we are doing our next game plan update. So we're working with a consultant to kind of take a look at our mm -hmm. forecasting and, and how that um, folds in. Um, so the last greenhouse gas inventory that we've we did was in 2020 um, because of the staffing kind of uh, vacancies and, and changes that we've been experiencing. We haven't um, produced the 2021 inventory yet, but we are anticipating that being completed this spring. So spring 2023. Um, I can say that 2020 we saw a big reduction largely due to COVID and that we do anticipate um, our emissions going back up a bit in 2021. Um, and so both the state and our clean energy provider, Silicon Valley Clean Energy, have seen about a 6% increase between 2020 and 2021 levels. So that's a little bit of a snapshot of, of what we're expecting um, in terms of our bounce back. Um, next slide. So um, reporting on our fiscal year 21-22 annual update, we had 45 moves scheduled for that uh, fiscal year, and this shows the status of each of those moves. So complete or ongoing represents that um, the move has achieved either a large milestone where it's just very minimal ongoing support needed, 
or it's something that we've done, check the box and kind of moved on from. For moves that are in progress, that represents things that we um, had indicated we would start it at a certain time and continuously make progress on it. And so those are moves that are basically on track, but just haven't hit that major milestone or um, haven't been fully wrapped up yet. Um, for the 11 moves that are delayed, those are moves that we had scheduled to start in fiscal year 21-22 and the progress was not started in that year. And then for the moves that were on hold, um, those are just moves that we had anticipated starting in that year and it's, um, you know, outside circumstances, like there could be things with COVID, um, you know, lingering impacts of COVID-19 and the pandemic, whether it's businesses returning to office or um, working with businesses in the city of Sunnyvale around food. Um, those are just kind of the on hold. So it's, it's extenuating circumstances rather than the city just being um, delayed for whatever reason. So that's kind of a snapshot of where we were in fiscal year 21, 22 at the end of that year. Next slide. Um, and so I'm gonna go through a couple of key accomplishments um, by strategy. So strategy one is achieving uh, clean energy and a big win for us uh, during this fiscal year was receiving a million dollars to support the city hall energy resiliency project. And so that money is going towards the solar array and battery system um, that allows allows the city hall facility to um, support itself in case of an emergency. Um, so in case the city loses power, it has this backup energy system and allows it to continue operating some of its critical functions during a powder outage as we um, provide emergency services to this city of Sunnyvale. Um, so I'm very excited to move into that building soon and get to see the whole system at work. Next slide. Um, so for strategy two, this is decarbonizing buildings. Uh, SVCE, our clean energy provider, has a heat pump uh, rebate program so that swaps out uh, hot water, uh, uh, heat pump water heaters, gas powered ones for the electric ones. Um, uh, Sunnyvale makes up 31% of this program. So we've, we've made up the large portion of this program um, over the number of years it's been run and uh, 105 uh, heat pump water heaters have been installed. Uh, the Cool Cooktops program is another program that we uh, run through the library here at the City of Sunnyvale to help uh, residents check out induction cooktops and try out that appliance and consider uh, switching from uh, maybe perhaps a gas stove to this electric uh, alternative. So since its um, launch in, that was in 2020, spring of 2020, we've had 138 kit uses and 14 people comment that they, after using the kit, are going to either buy a portable one or actually replace their, their range, um, their gas range with an electric. So we get a lot of really great um, comments and feedback from people who have used those kits. Um, the new city hall will be lead in platinum with solar and storage, as I mentioned, um, and every new city facility that we uh, either have significant remodel or are, are building a new facility, we are um, looking at it as an all electric building. So we, that's just kind of like the policy now for the city of Sunnyvale is to consider each, each new building that we build as a municipal organization for all electric. Um, and so uh, for example, our Lakewood library will be the next all electric building. Um, reach codes went into effect in January of 2021. And so we've had 92 residential projects and one commercial project. Um, these are anything that was, that's permit was submitted after January, 2021. So we saw a bit of a lag between 
reach codes being adopted and then permits that were actually um, had, you know, had to comply with reach codes. Um, so that's why the numbers may be perhaps a little bit lower than when you're looking at how many uh, permits there have, you know, been processed. Um, so this is anything submitted after January 2021. So every project has been compliant that should have been. So everything submitted after January 2021 has been compliant and um, largely successful in terms of compliant, you know, adopting the reach codes. Uh, next slide. Okay, so strategy three is decarbonizing transportation um, and sustainable land use. So move 3A is really about increasing diverse housing options. And so I'm um, happy to say that both the Lawrence Station Area Plan and El Camino Real specific plan um, accomplished this move. And, and as we're looking at, a, there's been a lot of specific moves coming through the adoption process recently and update process. Um, all of those are doing a great job at looking at, looking at um, diverse housing close to transit and, and kind of assessing that for options. Um, for move 3E, um, this is funding the active transportation plan. So this is something I, I probably don't need to report on much to this group in particular, but uh, you know, the staff that support you here are, are doing a great job at this. And uh, the, the move 3F was to launch a shared scooter or um, a mobility program. And so the city was able to do that um, just this last October. And that was some, that's an example, a good example of a move that had been delayed a couple of years um, due to COVID. And, and now we've been able to um, see that make progress. Next slide. Um, more on this strategy. Uh, the Peary Park pilot shuttle program is anticipated to launch in spring of 2023. Um, Sunnyvale's drive electric program is going into its third year, but I've got some metrics here to the right-hand side um, on last year's program. So we had uh, three webinars with 252 attendees and then two in-person test drive events with 155 individual test drives taken. Um, so we're seeing a really great um, engagement from the community on this uh, program, a lot of great um, questions and, and just good continued engagement with the program itself. Um, so we try to offer it to you know either people just looking into EVs as well as um, people much further along in the process and kind of looking at different charging or different models of EVs and things like that. Um, and at both of our in-person test drive events, we uh, reach out to a lot of the um, bicycle uh, companies in the area and, and have e-bikes for test drives as well. Um, Move3L is more about our internal fleet um, as well as public EV infrastructure. Um, so we've got 11 fleet electric vehicles and 10 fleet chargers. We've installed four um, operating fast chargers in the city, but eight more have actually been installed and are just awaiting uh, electricity connection with PG&E. Um, and so trying to expand that uh, EV infrastructure, specifically the fast charging available at, you know, the locations are two downtown parking lots as well as the community center, having that option available for our community. Next slide. Uh, strategy four um, is sustainably managing our resources. So this is food scraps, water, urban forestry, things like that. Um, so for the food scraps program, uh, they have rolled out through the food scraps program to all multifamily dwellings as of the end of 2022, which was a huge, huge lift for the solid waste team. And I think they did a really great job with their 
communication and outreach. It's been pretty uh, widely successful. And then they're gonna start working on the remaining commercial and business properties in uh, 2023. 4D is um, looking at water conservation. So city council extended the stage two water shortage emergency until June of 2023. And then our team specifically have done a lot of outreach and engagement with water conservation. So we were able to do a lot more tabling over this last fiscal year, get out in the community and really talk to them about water conservation, um, hand out you know, various giveaways, things to help people kind of track their water use or, or lessen it. And um, Sunnyvale has done an excellent job of rising to the task of conserving water. I would say the majority of the community members we talked to are doing as much as they can and that's reflected in our water reduction. So I think last year's July, or sorry, 2021's July water use versus 2022's July water use had, it was close to like a 10 or 15% reduction. It was pretty significant. <clears throat> um, and move 4 g is our GSI plan. So green stormwater infrastructure plan. Um, so we have done a number of site assessments um, and concept plans for where we can add green stormwater infrastructure to various projects. Um, and we are, um, over the eight acres that are required through our permit. So we, we have already like done site assessments for more than what we're required and we're really hopeful to see those projects come to fruition. Next slide. Um, so strategy five is about engaging and empowering our community members. So one of the um, programs that we have outlined here is one of the moves is a sustainability speaker series. Um, so we hosted three events last fiscal year and we had 245 community members attend. Um, they focused on uh, building electrification, um, specifically uh, existing building electrification and how to do it in smaller homes. Uh, we had um, a talk on um, consumption emissions. That was very interesting and, and how uh, relevant and effective that might be. <laughs> um, and then one on community resiliency. Uh, so I encourage you to watch those anytime you can. They're all on our YouTube page. Uh, we also held a video contest for Sunnyvale High School students, and so we're really trying to, um, this year, a really big focus of ours is to continue building relationships with the youth in Sunnyvale um, and engage them on climate action programs. Oftentimes, they're already doing a lot, and so it's really just connecting um, our team members to their, their groups and supporting them in ways that we can. Uh, we were able to go to 12 in-person events to table and reach over 700 community members across those events. We were happy to get back out in the community last year. Next slide. Um, so while I don't have all of our metrics updated and all of our inventory done, I did have um, two metrics to share. So one was our percent of the electricity that we're producing from our local solar panels and what that looks like over Sunnyvale's total demand. Um, so our 2030 target was to have 3% of our demand supplied by local solar. Um, we surpassed that in 2021. We saw a very large increase in solar installations and um, are nearing our 5% target for 2050. That was a very exciting thing to see. Next slide. Um, a, a target that we're a little further away from, it would be our zero vehicle adoption, uh, zero emission vehicle adoption percentage. So we're hoping to get to 20% by 2030, and we are currently at about 6.8%. <laughs> uh, we have a long way to go here. Um, we did see a little bit of a slowdown. Um, I know we're all familiar with the supply chain issues and how difficult it can be to buy a car right now. So we're really hoping that as those um, difficulties ease up, 
um, that the education and awareness we'll doing we are doing will help people be able to to buy cars. Um, there's a larger focus on um, purchasing used EVs, and that's becoming a little bit more uh, accessible for people. But this is something that we we still have a lot of work to do on. Next slide. Um, so our the first game plan that we wrote is was game plan 2023. So that is intended to uh, basically wrap up with this fiscal year that we're currently in. Um, so this is a current status and snapshot of kind of where we think the progress of those moves are going to end with the end of this game plan. Um, and also a little bit of a preview of the work that we have to do as we're working on this next game plan. So um, game plan 2028, this game plan that we're working on will be a uh, five-year work plan. So it's anticipated to go through fiscal year 20, from fiscal year 24 all the way to fiscal year 28. Um, so it's a little longer than the last uh, work plan that we wrote. And it's bringing us really close to our 2030 target. So there's a lot of really big actions we're gonna have to take. Um, but we do anticipate the first year of it to look a little bit more similar to game plan 2023 as we do still have some work to, to wrap up from that game plan. Um, so you can see that we have um, a little bit more moves in progress, a little less in the delayed compared to the fiscal year 21, 22, um, and then a, a little bit more moves on hold. So those six moves on hold, um, I, well, I guess I'll say the six moves that are delayed are ones that we we haven't made started progress on yet as of, as of now, but we do anticipate progress starting either towards the end of this fiscal year or right at the start of the next one. So there's a pretty solid plan for progress to start on those ones. The six moves on hold are ones that we do not have a good plan for implementing. And so those are ones that we're kind of going back um, to staff. I think there's been a lot of staff capacity issues. And so that seems to be one of the, the bigger problems for these moves is understanding um, when and how they will be implemented. And um, some of it is a little bit of change with priorities and technology and kind of reassessing if the move is, is still um, in our best interest with the resources that we have. Okay, next slide. So what we've been focusing on, um, I'll just run through this pretty quickly because there's a lot on here, um, but really building electrification, transportation decarbonization, um, are the two big focus areas. When we look at our pie chart for emissions, we know that that's where all of our emissions are coming from. Um, so just these moves here are where we're trying to really focus our attention to ensure that we're trying to move the needle on those two sectors. Um, so really existing building electrification is gonna be the big thing to tackle. Um, we're continuing to implement reach codes and, and new construction will be all electric and tease out any issues we have along the way with that. Um, for strategy three, um, I think, you know, the active transportation plan is a big part of this. Um, the transportation demand management coordinator uh, was just hired recently. And so I'm sure um, that was on the Leans team. And we're really excited to have that person on board to help really move the needle on a lot of these programs, basically 3E through 3L. I think we can get a lot of support um, from that coordinator position. Uh, drive electric program is us our team implementing that and that's like I reported on going pretty well um, and then the fleet transition so uh, our you know fleet policy is to uh, buy an EV unless there's a strong justification approved by city manager for a, a other vehicle a gas powered vehicle um, and there's a lot of funding coming through local regional state and federal to support 
um, fleet transition, public transitions to EVs, as well as installing more EVI. So I think we've got our, our work cut out for us in that area. Next slide. Uh, as I mentioned, we're gonna continue with the food scraps rollout. Um, they're also updating a lot of equipment at the smart station to improve our already very effective system. Um, I think, you know, that's one thing Sunnyville is very proud of is that we have quite a high um, diversion percentage rate and are producing really um, good quality uh, secondary and third tertiary products out of, out of that system. So, you know, where our food scraps go and what they become um, is, is higher quality than a lot of other processing facilities. Um, promoting and implementing water conservation. So um, while we did have a lot of rain <laughs> this last December uh, into January, you know, we are, we are looking good in terms of snowpack. However, if we don't receive any more rain and any more snow, um, we could very quickly find ourselves in, in a, back into the drought. And I think um, if you've, you know, been keeping up with the city council study sessions on this, it's really um, droughts aren't, aren't the right term anymore. It's just, this is the way California is. We're kind of in an ongoing drought all the time. And we just have to adapt to a new way of um, living with less water and really understand how we can do that better with the water that we have. So um, as you've seen, city council is really prioritizing uh, recycled water is, is one of their top priorities this year. And uh, they've got a study issue, study issue looking at the feasibility of expanding the purple pipe in Sunnyvale. Um, continuing to implement the GSI plan, we're really hoping to launch um, move 5A. So this is another move that's been significantly delayed um, both due to COVID as well as the staffing turnover on, on our team. Um, so hoping that this spring we're able to launch that um, and really get the community engaged in climate action, especially as we're preparing to um, release the new game plan. Um, so speaker series, youth groups, you know, updating the scoreboard and completing our two inventories, um, and then starting to look at a community resiliency plan for Sunnyvale. Okay, next slide. Game plan development. So this is the timeline that we have. Um, I've spoken about the game plan a lot. So like I said, it's the next five year work plan for climate action. Um, we are currently in phase two. So we're really close to wrapping up our technical analysis with the consultant. So um, as I mentioned earlier, part of that is examining what um, Sunnyvale needs to do in order to reach carbon neutrality a little earlier, as well as at the 85% instead of the 80%. And so as, our, um, as we were looking at the actions in that next game plan, that new target is being considered. Um, the next phase will be resource allocation. So that's where a lot of the internal work comes from all of the departments across the city really um, providing input on what, what it'll take to implement the actions that we've identified and completed all the analysis for. Um, and then once we've done all that, we can release a public draft. And so that is looking like the start of August. Um, so that's when we'll start to host a lot of workshops. We'll have surveys released to the community. Um, you know, we'll have study sessions, uh, anticipate coming to the Sustainability Commission, Bicycle Pedestrian, you all, um, and Planning Commission. So I'll, I'll uh, work with Lillian in, on that um, and get, just really get a lot of community input on that and make sure that, you know, that work plan is the direction the community wants us to head. With the final adoption, we're hoping for February, 2024. So we will be um, a ways into, um, into the game plan's timeline when we are adopting it. And so, uh, as I said, that the first year will likely look very similar to the last year of the current game plan. 
we're not stopping the work on implementation. We're continuing it. We know what we need to do. Um, and we wanna make sure that the game, next game plan is written uh, as best as we can and, and the resources are allocated correctly before we adopt that. And so there's, there is a little bit of a lag there, but I think it's um, not stopping progress for us. Okay, and I think that's it. If you go to the next slide, yes, great. Okay, well, <laughs> thank you. Um, yeah. Okay, uh, just a small aside for the record, please mark Commissioner Deve present as of 6.50 p.m. And we will proceed. Uh, I will remind uh, my fellow commissioners that uh, please use the virtual raise hand feature if you have any questions or comments. And as usual, Commissioner Wee is first on the buzzer, followed by Commissioner Bonnet. <laughs> Thank you, Chair. <laughs> And, and thank you, Ms. Kerr. That was an awesome presentation. I'm really impressed with the metrics and all, I mean, so much information, so many different places that you guys have made progress. So really great job on the food scraps program. That was a heavy lift, lots of misunderstandings and resistance, but you're doing a great job with that. So awesome. I have some thank questions. Um, and if you, let's see, like for move 3E, um, ATP, yes, we have the ATP, but um, that's just a promise, not an actual accomplishment. So I mean, it is an accomplishment, but it doesn't have, hasn't yet, just getting the plan doesn't reduce greenhouse gases by itself. Um, and looking at the ATP, uh, my current assessment is we're, we're about 1% through actually implementing stuff in that. Uh, it's hard for me to measure because I'd like to actually better metrics in that space to know how far along we are, but just eyeballing it from a distance and looking at all the stuff in it, they're about 1%. And so at the rate we're going, that's two years into that, which is like 20% into the 10-year plan that we do this every 10 years. But at the rate we're going, um, most of the ATP is not going to impact our climate plan because it's going, it's going to take 100 years for us to get there. Um, so if you improve your metrics, it'd be really cool if you could actually go up, you know, see if we can get, figure out a percentage of how far along implementing the ATP we are. And the ATP we have, by the way, even omitted some big glaring gaps uh, like Tasman, Hollenbeck, Fair Oaks, Wolf, that we still have to solve also. So although the plan's great and we're moving forward on it, we're just a little bit through that. So rather than um, show that as green, like, like it's complete, it'd be nice to show, well, it's 1%, you know, so it's got a long to go. And with the, um, like the Department of Energy and Bureau of Transportation Statistics says that 52% of U.S. car trips are under three miles. So that's half of our transportation that we're doing in our area for car trips could be done by bike or by e-bike. And so just doing that alone would be a huge impact um, for climate change because transportation is the biggest source of greenhouse gases now that we've solved a lot of other things. So I do hope that um, having that implemented, getting more people biking would be uh, called out. And I'm listening on page uh, 13, you have um, electric vehicle uh, registrations, which we're behind on. I was wondering, something to think about for the next game plan is rather than some focus on vehicle registration, it's just replacing the um, gas cars, the fossil fuel cars with electric cars still uses a huge amount of space and a huge amount of resources and is very risky still for bicyclists. Um, getting people to electric bikes or just regular bikes and being able to measure that as part of this mode shift um, actually accomplishes more than going to an EV. Uh, an electric bike or a bicycle gets way is way better than an electric vehicle even at reducing uh, greenhouse gases and makes our community safer as well. So there's some suggestions uh, when you do this new game plan to see if we can tease that stuff out because bicycling and walking 
um, really can have a huge impact on reducing greenhouse gases. So again, awesome. Oh, I, I'm salivating over the metrics you guys have. You've got so many different great charts and making great progress. And I'm hoping that we can develop more of those in our space uh, for the act transportation plan, because um, it is huge. That's why we have a commission for this uh, in our city. Um, so I'm looking forward to having some better metrics in our space as well uh, someday. So thank you. That's it. Thank you, Commissioner Thank you. Wee. Commissioner Bonet. You're muted, sir. You're muted, Commissioner Bonet. Ah, thank you for there the opportunity go. to ask questions <laughs> and, uh, and for the report. Uh, I have a, a question on the data source. Uh, and why is there a two-year lag behind the CO2 data and the year in which we currently find ourselves? Yes, so uh, city staff complete our greenhouse gas inventory every year, um, and we have committed to doing an annual inventory. It's a pretty significant lift. Most other cities only do it every two years, every three years, and they'll typically have a consultant do it. Um, in let's see, March of last year, uh, our environmental programs manager position was vacated and I filled in as interim. So I was doing two jobs at once. And so that was something that did get, um, just, we, we did not have capacity on our team to complete it. And that's currently what we're waiting on. So, um, we have the two other full-time staff positions for sustainability have been vacant since about March of last year. We lost the environmental program specialist around July, I feel like, mm -hmm. something like that. <laughs> so we've just been really short-staffed. And so that's, unfortunately, we wanted to continue making progress on the game plan development. And so um, knowing that we have other sources such as SBCE's annual emissions inventory to kind of look at for at least building electric uh, buildings and transportation, which are our two largest sectors, um, we felt comfortable moving forward with game plan and, and waiting a bit until we had full staff to do the, the inventory. Mm. Yeah, makes sense. I understand certainly about the staff shortage. I, I was really though curious, what what are the sources of the data? It sounds like oh, you rely sure. on a variety of external organizations. We are, yes. And there usually is, a, a, gosh, I think we publish our data usually in October of the year following. So there's a significant lag. Um, we get data from um, Silicon Valley Clean Energy. Some of that comes from PG&E. And so there's a bit of back and forth there depending on how available the data can be made. Um, uh, let's see, where else do we get? We get data, there, there's a variety of different other government agencies that we get other data from. Um, and I would say that the interesting thing about this space is there's new data sources coming out every year. And so there's a good deal of just vetting those new data sources. There's um, a greenhouse gas protocol that we follow. And so, um, Understanding. Are, any of them, are any of your data sources based on observations of actual vehicle miles driven in Sunnyvale? For example, using um, the traffic cameras that are on intersections? So the, the reduction in emissions that we calculated for 2020 from COVID was based on uh, the MTC, the uh, Metropolitan Transportation Authorities, uh, what they saw in terms of reduction. So they did based on traffic cameras and things like that. They calculated a percent reduction in activity based on COVID. And then we applied that to our VMT uh, model just to get the reduction that we anticipated. So um, our, our current VMT is just modeled, but we did use live. Uh, so annually we do not use live 
information so, for transportation. So you use a yeah. statistical input. Okay. Yeah. And next question on the this the greenhouse gas reduction plot you showed. Does this the the x-axis didn't quite go out to 2045? Uh, I'm I was curious along with Commissioner Oi, I think. What's does the slope of the reduction meet the target by 2045 or not? Um, Meaning, I don't. That's if a it great doesn't, question. how much more do we have to do in the coming time? How much? Yes. Uh, we we um, let's see. We have a. We were about 12 percent shy of our 2030 goal in 2020, and we anticipate some bounce back. So I would say that we're not quite on track to meet that goal. Um, a really big part of what we're doing right now with the consultant for the the technical analysis is looking at that forecast. And so that's where they're pretty much plotting out to 2030 and 2045 for us and looking at what actions we've taken and what actions we anticipate to take in the next game plan to see if we are on track. Mm -hmm. um, so when we when we release that game plan, that information will be be in there. Um, I can I can say, you know, it's it's going to be really tough. I think we got a really great reduction from SVCE. And since then, we've known you know, after adopting reach codes, that's going to be another great effort, but, but pretty much everything else was going to be a lot harder. Um, and I think, you know, we're not the only city trying to figure this out. And so um, a lot of new ideas being thrown around in the world right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, next question relates to the, the million dollar grant to the energy efficiency of the new city hall, uh, which is, you know, always very welcome. But I was curious, and I assume that it wouldn't, it's not the case that in the building whose budget is, if I remember right, something on the order of 200 million, the solar and the batteries would still have been installed, have been installed regardless of the receipt of this grant or not, right? Correct. Yes, it just helped offset uh, costs for the building. Hmm. And along the same lines, what is the city government's fraction of the total Sunnyvale business, commercial government, energy use, electricity use? Our municipal facilities? Mm -hmm. I actually do not know that. That's, some, that's on my list of things to uh, better understand, I think, with this next game plan. So oh, um, we've really focused on community emissions and, and not, we haven't done a municipal inventory in a while, so. Mm -hmm. You know, leading by the city hall makes good sense. So if, I think mm -hmm. the, these sort of data would be enlightening. Uh, so it's good to hear that you're planning to do it. Um, could you explain more of the heat pump water heater program? What does it do? Yeah, so um, SVCE actually has a contractor training program. So they will train contractors on the installation of a heat pump water heater um, because that's that's a kind of a big gap. I don't know if any of you have tried to electrify your home or looked into this. It's mm -hmm. it's really hard to actually get one. It's hard to find a contractor who can install it or is willing to install it. Oftentimes they don't want to. Um, so trying to build up that workforce is part of that future fit program. And then the other component is um, connecting with the community member, providing some technical assistance in the rebate. So they'll connect them with the contractor that's been trained, help them get the the hot water heater installed, um, and provide incentives. Um, Actually, one thing I think that has occurred since the last time I, I looked at that slide in particular is they've expanded that program. So it's beyond just the um, water heaters now. They're looking at how to help, you know, electrify a home wholly. And part of that is actually providing financial offsets for the electrical panel upgrades if that is something that's required. So 
Um, mm. Oftentimes, if you are looking at electrifying your whole home at this at once, it, you might need an electrical panel upgrade, and that can be very costly. Certainly. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. So SVCE is starting to really look at that whole home approach when they're interacting with our customers, mm. our community members. Makes sense. <clears throat> Uh, next, uh, on the on the topic of transportation, uh, provide please a few examples of the of, on the topic of diverse housing close to transit. Um, I suppose this fits in with the ATP. Yeah, so the I, I'm not sure if the Lawrence Station area plan or El Camino Real specific plan came to you all for a study session as a commission or or any type of adoption from. Um, community development department but so basically they um they rezoned some of those areas to allow for housing along el camino real um and that specific one and then for the lawrence station area plan they really redesigned that area to allow a lot more active transportation i believe to kind of connect some of the the pathways it's been honestly it's been a little while since those presentations were given to our commission um and that's what i recall but they both they both had a very strong focus on offering more housing um, near businesses as well as near transit. So it's it's a lot more of that diverse diverse housing um, where they're rezoning areas to allow for it. So hmm. that's that's as much as I feel comfortable speaking to it. Um, sense. Again, the presentations were given quite a while ago. Mm-hmm. All right, thank you. Uh, last mm-hmm. question is, I'm curious about the food scrap uh, improvements. First, what are the products that you mentioned that are currently a result of the food scrap? And second, what percentage of the waste stream is food scraps? And what's your estimate of how much of that food scrap potential waste stream we're missing right now? Meaning, are we capturing all of the food scraps? And if not, how much is, is um, not making it to the intended spot? And what is the fraction of total waste that food scraps count for? Those are all excellent questions. And I'll say right now, I, I cannot answer all of them. <laughs> uh, our, okay. our food waste processing, our, our smart facility in general is, is very technical and very extensive. Um, and I don't, I don't have the data numbers in front of me. So there, that's a whole other um, part of a whole other division that deals with all of that. And I, I can reach out to my colleagues in solid waste to get some more answers for you. Um, but I can say that our uh, food scraps when they're collected in the waste, it's um, because we don't accept paper products. So I, I know in other areas, you might be able to put a compostable paper plate in your food scraps. And for us, it's strictly food that allows us to actually create animal feed um, and also do um, things like anaerobic digestion with our, our what we are getting out of our food scraps. It's basically turns into a mash. Um, and so with other products, it's typically just turned into compost. So that's my understanding of, of the higher quality um, of our end product. Um, I wish I had the, the diversion I know that we're at about a 60, 68% diversion rate, um, but I'm not sure what percentage of that is, is the food scraps itself is like the green waste. Um, but we do also have a pretty, a pretty thorough process of, of grabbing, you know, recyclables and food from landfill waste. So stuff that is, is going in landfill is getting further sorted at our facility. And that's another component of our um, just high functioning, high, you know, uh, well, well functioning. <laughs> smart facility. Um, okay. So I w- yes, I would encourage you to take a tour if possible, or um, we can, I can ask about that. Yes, gladly. 
Thank you. Thank you for the questions. That's the last one. Great. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Bonet. Commissioner Haveman. Uh, thank you. Yeah, very good presentation. Um, I actually have a specific question about downtown. There's that new high density housing they're building down there. There's 12 story buildings plus the giant office buildings. Are they all electric? Um, that I am not sure about. So those, those that that project, that whole city downtown um, city project was before my time. So that was before reach codes. So I'm I'm pretty certain that all of those uh, per building permits were not subject to reach codes. And I'm not sure if which, if any, have been examined for all electric. Um, I think that the plans for that that project were made that predated a lot of the all electric building code that we looked at. Okay, that's, that's, I hope it is electric because there's gonna be a lot of residents down there. That'd be a real opportunity to, to make it down. On second okay. of all, I mean, a wonderful metric, but I don't know how to do it, but I'll still throw it out. In the transportation area would be to come up with some kind of a ratio of trips, percentage trips using alternate transportation versus automobile a ratio on that and to somehow try to track that over time you know is that are the atp type trips alternate transportation trips increasing faster than auto transportation etc that would be really useful information but i have to tell you i don't know how to do it thank you that's it for me great thank you Thank you, Commissioner Haveman. I have a couple questions for you. Um, my first question is, is it possible to get um, an addendum sent to our um, liaison that would list the items which are on hold or um, deferred specifically, um, you know, uh, detailing what the issues are, or what the item is and what the issues are? So we have some idea of uh, what's being affected by the issues with respect to implementation or funding or what have you. Um, just like to have that kind of information. And then um, secondly, I, I agree with Commissioner Wee's comment and the fact that the fact that we have an active transportation plan doesn't mean we've been successful in implementing such the active transportation plan. So um, I agree that um, there needs to be sort of a stage two metric uh, involved with the ATP in that uh, what percentage of the ATP has been completed um, since we actually have, you know, some things on there and then, um, uh, you know, and fitting that all into the overall um, schema of uh, assessing how well we are doing with our um, things. So I think the ATP should be maybe yellow as opposed to green <laughs> um, because voting on it is just the first step. And then finally, um, uh, will the city be implementing new plans for new construction where the percentage of parking spaces, such as they are allotted, will be uh, electrified um, so that um, you're sort of uh, gently encouraging residents to purchase electric vehicles as opposed to gas ones as part of their um, uh um, move-in thing? So I don't know if that's on the city's radar or not. Um, would you have any idea on that? Yes. So when the reach codes were adopted, we did adopt um, solar installation requirements. So all new construction also is required to install solar panels as well right. as EVs. 
So we have EV requirements for, it varies per, per type of building. So um, for commercial, there's a certain percentage per the parking spaces that you have, that you're planning to, to, to build. Um, same for multifamily um, hotel. Like there, I mean, we go through quite a, a list of different types of buildings with different percentages. Right. Um, and I'm, and I'm yeah, and these percentages are not static, that they will creep up in percentage as time goes on, as we get closer to that 2050 mark. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, yeah, our, when we adopted the REACH codes, we were, we were a little bit behind a lot of the cities in our, in our region. But because of that, we actually adopted a lot higher percentages in terms of the requirements for EVs. Mm-hmm. So our, our EV, we just did a round two of REACH codes <laughs> um, that were just adopted uh, this past I think November, I want to say is when Suzanne went to council. So mm-hmm. um, uh, other cities updated their their EV percentages and we actually stayed, it stayed the same because it had been so recent since we had done them and uh, we were still a lot higher than, than many of the cities in our area. So we were pretty happy with them right now. Um, I think a lot of what the kind of the next phase of that and looking at that is how to do m- more flexible EV uh, installate. So instead of requiring, you know, all of them to be EVs mm-hmm. as a next step, um, you know, different levels of charging stations, different ways to kind of share the parking spaces rather than having assigned. There's just some equity considerations, uh, especially when you're looking at things like multifamily that um, uh, there's a working group with, you know, Silicon Valley, clean energy, Peninsula, clean energy. Um, I think it's East Bay, the other clean energy community there. So they're, they're, helping the cities really look into that. And that's um, a priority for them as well. So we're getting a lot of support and moving that needle. Okay. And with respects to like retail parking lots, you know, when I see those big open spaces and retail parking lots, I'm always wondering why when I go to the registrar of voters, like all the parking spaces are covered solar panel parking spaces. So all that empty air basically is being used to generate electricity. And so I'm wondering why for retail, new retail, we're not requiring the same because those giant pieces of blacktop are also heat sinks and affect climate and so forth. So, you know, by putting solar arrays over top of them, first of all, we provide shade for people's vehicles. And then secondly, we also have another electricity generating, solar electricity generating option. So is there something like that, you know, down the pipe for like retail um, zoning? Um, that's something that we're discussing as part of this next game plan. And I'm, I'm blanking on where we're at with that conversation. Exactly. Um, I think a lot of the, the newer construction coming down the pipeline is going to be stacked where we're having parking underground. Um, so I think what we've discussed is, is there a way to look at existing parking lots and install solar and what that would look like and if it's cost effective and, and, you know, um, so yeah, that's. That's what I can recall on that. Okay, because if but we get solar noticed. in those parking lots, then maybe we can get electric bike charging stations so that commissioners wheeze dream of, of those small... <laughs> Uh, I hope you're not encouraging people to travel 50 miles by bicycle. Not that you don't do it, but um, that those for those short trips that people have um, electric charging available for their e-bikes and e-scooters and other electric electrified uh, uh, alternative transportation things. So, um, so yeah. So basically, what I'm looking for then is just the uh, addendum on the items which are on hold and delayed, broken down. Um, by what the specific items are 
uh, what the, uh, you know, if there can be sort of an issue summary statement, um, and that would be uh, very useful for understanding what the, uh, what the problems are. Great, yes, I'll connect with. Okay, and then Commissioner Wee, you had a additional comment? Yeah, this is a quick one. Um, uh, in response to Commissioner Bonnet was asking about a land use uh, planning and um, Ms. Kerr mentioned a Lawrence Station plan, of course, the downtown plan and the El Camino plan is huge. Mm -hmm. uh, plan. And, and something's happening right now is the uh, village center master plans are being put together, which is um, also really important. They create those nodes that may, works well with mass transit and walking and biking. Um, and th those are very getting some controversy next door right now, but I uh, definitely uh, look at those and participate in that process because um, it is a very interesting one. Thank you. Yes. Thank you, Commissioner Wee. Do any other commissioners have any further questions or comments? Okay, seeing none, we're going to move on to the public. Um, since we remain in the virtual setting, I will ask members of the public to use the virtual raise hand feature or dial star nine on a telephone to indicate if they wish to speak. City staff will ask you to unmute your microphone when it is your turn to address the BPAC. And city staff, do we have any members of the public wishing to speak? Oop, I see a couple hands. Yes, so the first one I saw was Betsy. Uh, so I will allow you to speak. Let me share my screen with the timer. Mm -hmm. As a reminder, we'll have three minutes for public comment. For right. Each person. right, so Betsy, when you're ready, please unmute yourself and you will have three minutes to speak. Good evening. Um, Betsy Magus, I am a Santa Clara resident and a member of the BPAC in Santa Clara, um, also VTA. I've worked with a couple of you folks uh, there speaking for myself tonight, and I apologize if I missed anything at the beginning of this presentation. I did enter a little late. Uh, first of all, I would like to thank the, the city for um, going through this process. We've, we've done some of it in Santa Clara here, and it feels like you're at least a little bit ahead of us. So. Um, Full props on that. Um, I'm in favor of electric cars in that they are likeliest to be adopted soonest in, in place of internal combustion cars. Um, I kind of got a snout full of smog on my way home this evening. Um, however, electric cars do not reduce congestion or the amount of space a city dedicates to driving and parking. They do not reduce vehicle miles traveled. They do not improve traffic safety. They do not reduce the bulk of costs of car ownership. So my high level question is how and when are you working on getting people out of their cars and how are you measuring the results? Um, my finer grained question here, do you plan on including electric bicycles in your electric vehicle information sessions and test drive days? And if not, would you please consider it? Um, and my off topic question is the green stormwater infrastructure about trash capture, groundwater recharge or something else. Um, Paved area, whether that's streets or parking lots or whatever, is stormwater runoff. Um, and it's also thermal mass that captures and retains heat. And I hope you're looking at opportunities to add green space in trees, even if it's in you know small patches uh, here and there. So those are my comments and thank you again for this item. Thank you, Betsy. Thank you. Let me see.
think it's Nick. Right. Okay. Go. All right, Nick. Um, same rules apply, so I will um, allow you to speak, and you will have three minutes to speak. Hi there. Can you hear me? Yes. Hi. Um, my name is Nick Brosnan. I'm a Sunnyvale resident. I live near Ortega Park. Uh, I just want a couple of comments regarding uh, parking lot space allocation, let's call it. Um, one of the things that we struggle with, and I know that the city has a uh, uh, program for installing bike racks, is that there's car parking in all of these surface parking lots all over the city, but there's no bike parking to speak of. Um, uh, has there been any thought to kind of requiring um, property owners that have large surface parking lots to have some percentage of parking spaces converted to bike bike parking? That's number one. Um, number two, uh, just as sort of a comment about um, uh, heat pump water heaters. Um, I'm a very early adopter of those things. And one of the, let's just say, things come with advantages and disadvantages. One of the advantages, of course, is that it uses uh, electricity to, to heat water. But one of the major disadvantages is that it's loud, right? The compressor runs a lot. And um, uh, I think the city might want to get ahead of the, the challenge with noise pollution around that. Um, I often worry that mine's running too much for my neighbors. Um, Anyway, so that's kind of uh, my commentary. Thanks for uh, giving this presentation. Uh, I would love to see more uh, uh, statistics regarding uh, how our climate plan is actually affecting getting people out of their cars, like one of the previous speakers, because, um, you know, switching to EVs is great. I've got one, um, you know, it gets me around. It is heavy and um, it's honestly, because it's heavier and because it's quicker, it's sort of more dangerous than a regular car uh, for everybody outside of it. And so um, it can't be our end goal. It has to be interim at best. Thanks for your time. Yeah. Thank you, Nick. Do we have any other members of the public wishing to speak? Seeing none on my end. Okay, then I am closing public comment on uh, this presentation. And uh, we are moving on to oral communications. This category provides an opportunity for members of the public to address the Bicycle and Pedestrian Advisory Commission on items not listed on the agenda and is limited to 15 minutes, uh, which may be extended or continued um, after, you know, at the discretion of the chair. Um, and uh, with a max, um, with a maximum of up to three minutes per speaker, please note, note that the Brown Act does not allow the Bicycle and Pedestrian Advisory Commission to take action on an item not listed on the agenda. And if you will wish to address the BPAC, please refer to the notice at the beginning of this agenda. Individuals are limited to one appearance during this section. Um, and a reminder to the public, please raise your digital hand or dial star nine on the telephone if you wish to address the BPAC on a topic which is not on tonight's agenda. So, um, members of the BPAC, do we have anyone um, wishing to, um, to uh, provide any, okay, members of the public to address the BPAC, sorry. 
blanket again. So do we have city staff, do we have any members of the public wishing to speak under oral communications? <laughs> this is what I get for flipping between two screens. <laughs> Currently seeing none. Okay. Then I will close oral communications. Moving on to the next item, uh, consent calendar. All matters listed on the consent calendar are considered routine. Uh, is first item is item number 23-0345, which is to approve the Bicycle and Pedestrian Commission meeting minutes of January 19th, 2023. Um, I will ask my colleagues to use, oh, we have, I'm sorry, I'm flipping back and forth between panelists and attendees. Commissioner Haifman. Uh, yes, I would like to pull that for two corrections. On page one, um, it stated when we approved the November minutes that I voted yes. Actually, I abstained because I did not attend the November meeting. And secondly, on page nine, uh, there was a motion to um, defer a study issue and it actually failed, but the comment from staff said it passed. And in shortly right after it, it said one affirmed, six no, but I think it should say it failed. Other than that, if those are corrected, then I move to um, accept the uh, minutes as stated. Uh, correction to your correction. I think you're actually referring to page two, which is where we were talking about the meeting minutes of November 17th of the of the uh, thing, because page one is our roll call. <laughs> so page okay. two. And then uh, the second item was page nine you said it might have been page 10 if i'm off a page i'm not sure why i was well no 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 i mean the pagination it is page nine okay uh, uh, page nine second to last line that was one of the corrections i had also flagged okay. and I'll, I'll second um uh commissioner haifman's motion and that was also a correction i wanted to make was it says they carried it's just they failed with the following vote right Yeah, or it should say the motion to defer, you know, it should be more clear, one or the other. <laughs> Actually, the motion was to defer. So yeah, no, the motion so the did motion, carry. No, the motion oh, it failed. failed. Okay, sorry. Safe routes to parks master plan. That's correct. It, the vote it, failed. Did, it, vote yes, failed. yes, yes, they did. That is correct. Okay. Yes, I got a bit confused when I was reading that and I was like, okay. So if those corrections can be made, we have a motion to approve the corrected meeting minutes. Do we have any further comments from commissioners or corrections? Okay, then uh, city staff. Uh, please conduct a random order voice vote. Commissioner Owe. I'm almost never a first. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> the mute button. Um, uh, yes. Chair Melman. Yes. 
Commissioner Bonet? Yes. Commissioner Haifman? Yes. Commissioner Dave? Yes. So the motion will carry with five yes and zero no. Okay. And one absent. Actually, I should have asked if there were any members of the public wishing to speak on a consent calendar item, but since the consent calendar was only approving the meeting minutes or not, I don't think there's anything for the public to comment on with respect. So moving on to the uh, next, we go to public hearings, general business, uh, moving on to item 230028. Recommend to city council to confirm the preferred alignment of the Stevens Creek Trail from Remington Drive to Fremont Avenue segment, consisting of an off-street trail along the creek with two connections at Fremont Avenue on both sides of State Route 85 with the adjustments due to changes in creek conditions. That is quite a long. <laughs> um, is there a staff report? <laughs> Yes, um, so Angela Obey, so um, Principal Transportation Engineer, um, will be um, presenting to the BPAC tonight. Thank you, Lillian. Yes, we have a presentation, and while he's bringing that up, um, thank you for the opportunity to present to you tonight on the Stevens Creek Trail Extension Project. Uh, this project tonight is the segment from Remington Drive to Fremont Avenue. Yeah. Again, my name is Angelo Baso. I'm a principal transportation engineer here at the city of Sunnyvale. Also helping me with the presentation and any questions you may have tonight is our uh, the project manager from our civil engineering team, Sean O'Keefe. Uh, so he'll, you will meet him in a moment when he presents on a few of the slides. Thank you. Next slide, please. So the purpose of this round of outreach is uh, a couple things here. One is to update the community. Uh, for those who are aware of the Creek Extension Project, it's probably been a while since you've heard anything. So we want to update you on where we're at and what we're doing now. We want to hear feedback about the project in general and, and specifically this segment, uh, Remington to Fremont. But most importantly, and the reason for the long uh, title of tonight's uh, <laughs> item, is that we are here tonight to present to you the currently proposed changes from the alignment that was approved by City Council back in 2016. Mm -hmm. So we're going to show you what was approved and we're going to show you the differences and walk you through what this trail segment will look like from a user's perspective. And tonight the action we're asking of you is to confirm uh, and recommend to City Council that they confirm that alignment and those changes we'll present tonight so that we can get that uh, alignment environmentally cleared. Next slide. So a little bit of project history uh, for those who maybe aren't as familiar with the Stevens Creek Trail. Uh, the idea of having an open space uh, creek uh, trail and, and recreational facility uh, started back in the 1960s. And since then, various agencies have uh, worked hard to fill in trail segments. This map here is from the VTA bikeways map. And what it shows you is the segments that are completed and approximately how long they are and when they were completed. Mm -hmm. What you can see on the uh, right-hand side is the box with the red dash line. That is the segment we're here to talk to you about tonight. It's about uh, 
0.7 miles approximately. And uh, the segments that are in the lighter green all the way to the south here are all the segments that are still to be built. They're not yet there. So by completing the segment that we are working on now, it'll complete about 20% of the remaining gap. Next slide, please. So where, where are we now? How do we get here? Um, back in 2015, the cities of Sunnyvale, Cupertino, Los Altos, and Mountain View got together along with Santa Clara Valley Water and formed a joint cities working team and a citizens working group. And they hired a consultant team. And together, all these uh, bodies and, and folks prepared the joint cities coordinated Stevens Creek Trail feasibility study. And basically the goal of that feasibility study was to determine and recommend ways to fill that gap, the remaining gap. The feasibility study split the gap into four segments and our section tonight falls into what it calls segment one, which goes from Dale Avenue, Heatherstone Way, where the trail currently ends today, down south to Fremont Avenue. Within that segment, both Mountain View and Sunnyvale have right-of-way, which is about half and half through there. So what the two cities decided to do was to split this segment into two. So Mountain View is leading the Dale Avenue Heatherstone Way to Remington section, and Sunnyvale is leading the Remington to Fremont section. So the feasibility study was presented to all of the cities and in 2016 Sunnyvale City Council selected the alternative uh, that basically shows the or, or has the alignment of the trail run within the open space area as opposed to along a city street all along st State Route 85 from Dale Avenue Heatherstone Way down to Fremont Avenue and they they uh, selected and directed staff to have that trail connect at Fremont Avenue on both sides of State Route 85, but not to actually cross Fremont Avenue with any overcrossing as, as was discussed in the feasibility study. The intention is that the segment from Fremont Avenue South will be done as a separate project and that will determine where that overcrossing would best be located. And so per the, the city council direction we received in 2016, this project is connecting to Fremont Avenue and we'll also be looking at ways to cross Fremont at existing elevation. And then the future project will look at an overcrossing possibility. So again, Sunnyvale's leading this section from Remington to Fremont. Uh, next slide, please. This is a, a map, an aerial view uh, that shows the three segments that are of most interest to folks in our area. The yellow uh, square or boxed area at the top is the area that Mountain View is leading. So picking up where the trail leaves off today and bringing it down to Remington. The red area is the project area that we are talking about tonight. And then the blue area at the bottom will will be a future study that Sunnyvale will lead that will connect where we leave off at Fremont all the way down to Homestead. Again, that will be a separate study and that will be done at a later stage. Next slide, please. So our current project is to complete environmental studies, permitting and final design for the Remington to Fremont section. 
we were successful at obtaining a Measure B sales tax uh, bike and ped program grant. And then we also have a city local match. And that funding there is completely funding the environmental and final design that uh, we've got Mark Thomas to, to um, our civil engineering firm on board for tonight. As part of their work, we will be preparing some construction cost estimates. And so that will allow us to better understand how much money we need for construction. We do currently anticipate that the costs are going to come in between 30 to 40 million to complete the segments that you'll see in a couple slides here. Uh, and we've partially identified and allocated some of that funding. Some of it's coming from Measure B and again, some from Local Match. Once we have the cost estimates prepared, we'll know if there's any gap in the funding between what we have and what we need. And then we will look for the remainder through uh, local, either more, more Measure B monies or uh, other local funds, state funds, and federal funds. Next slide. So again, uh, you know, the goals, some of the goals of, of the project and uh, one of the first tasks really of our consultant team was to evaluate the alignment that the city council previously directed us to, to move forward with and look for any changes in the existing conditions. What's changed since 2016 in the, in the creek and in the, in the land that we might need to adjust for. Uh, they also took a look at challenges, user comfort and costs, and also with an eye for consistency for all of the, the hard work that has gone into preparing the Stevens Creek Trail in the past. Next slide. So where does this alignment go and what does it look like? Uh, so the, the map that you see on the screen here is from that 2016 feasibility study. And again, the red dashed area is the area that city council approved as the preferred alignment and directed us to move forward with. Next slide. This shows our currently proposed alignment. And from a quick glance, it, it's pretty similar, uh, but there are a few changes. And if you show the next slide, it'll highlight the, the changes there. So here we have the original alignment on the left and the current alignment proposal on the right. And if you click forward, please. One of the changes, there's two, two main changes between uh, the original proposal and today's proposal. One of them is at the northern end, at the Remington connection. So originally, they had proposed for the trail to run on the west side of the creek, between the creek and State Route 85. Due to erosion, the creek has moved closer to 85 than it was back then. And so there's less space available for a trail to be put there. So our current proposal is to move the trail to the east side of the creek and run along a little bit before crossing a little further south. So that's one of the main changes. Uh, if you click forward again, please. Here's the other main change. Uh, so in this change, it, it's hard to see from this perspective, but basically the same thing is happening with the creek where this bend has, due to erosion, has gotten closer to State Route 85. There's still some space between the creek and 85 to run a trail here, but it will need a structure. So, so there will be basically a bridge that runs as, instead of crossing the creek, it will run along the creek in order to make that a stable segment of the trail. 
So those are the two main changes between what council approved in 2016 and what we're proposing for tonight. Next slide, please. So with that, I'm going to ask our um, civil engineering consultant, Sean, to chime in, and he's going to walk you through some of the segments of our current proposed alignment. Sean? Awesome. Thanks, Angela. And good evening, everyone. Um, happy to be here to talk to you tonight. So jumping into the alignment evaluation segment one, as was noted on the previous slides, um, the trail alignment's broken into three segments. Uh, this first one has a change bridge, bridge location, as Angela mentioned, and connects from Remington Drive down to where uh, the diverge happens between segments two and three. Uh, this segment has a single bridge over the creek and again utilizes that open space at the top of the bank. You can see on the pictures on the right hand side, uh, especially the lower right hand side, um, where there's open space, it's available to have the, the trail meander through this location. And then also there's minimal impacts, um, in this case for this segment, to sensitive species and as well as the channel itself and any stormwater uh, conveyance that needs to happen through the facility because we're staying above, um, above the channel itself. Next slide, please. And then when we get to the end of segment one, we get to segments two and three. In this case, segment two goes under State Route 85. You can see the picture on the right-hand side of the existing condition, uh, the big uh, hole, if you will, uh, for the bridge for the water to be able to flow through. And then the lower right-hand corner shows a conceptual high-level um, example of what that might look like as you go underneath State Route 85. Uh, in this case, the, the trail would go from the top of the bank down to the bottom of the channel itself. And so that would require some significant grading as well as retaining walls to be able to make that happen and still meet ADA standards. Um, obviously, with the uh, impacts to the existing bridge structure there, we will need extensive coordination with Caltrans um, as State Route 85 is a, is a state facility, um, as well as you know, complicated uh, structural analysis will need to go in with that as well. And then uh, require some flood control improvements, um, not minimizing the uh, conveyance, but keeping it the same. Some modifications will need to happen to the channel to allow for the trail to be able to make it from the top of bank down to the bottom. And then I think pretty obvious if it is, you know, having a major storm event like we've seen recently in rain events that the trail could be closed um, during those times as it does go down to the low flow of the channel. Next slide, please. Uh, segment three, this is the, uh, again, connects to segment one, and then this one actually goes over the top of Stevens Creek. Um, in this case, connecting on the east side of State Route 85, you can see on the uh, lower right-hand screen, our lower right-hand picture there, uh, that is the on-ramp to 85, and we'd be squeezing between essentially the ramp and the, the sound wall that you see there. Um, in this case, again, staying at the top of the bank with a couple of bridges um, with this segment, um, and then some more Caltrans coordination. Obviously, there will be minor impacts to the ramp with the new trail going adjacent to it as it connects down to Fremont. And then minimal flood control and species impacts as we are staying out of the banks um, and the channel itself. Next slide. Just reiterating um, the goals that we have for the project um, with directness of route, trail user comfort, um, really consistency with the vision that had been provided by uh, not only the community, but uh, by council and then sticking with the preferences and the council resolution that was in 2016 um, for the alignment that we showed tonight with some minor modifications, of course, due to the changes um, within the creek itself. Next slide. Uh, we did also have a community meeting, as Angela mentioned, about a month ago to update folks. Um, in this case, you know, in general, kind of the high points here for the community feedback were supportive um, of the project. 
Um, folks like to see both uh, connections on both sides of Fremont Avenue on the east and west side. Um, there was some discussion as well about uh, locally native plants and, and not just California native, but hyper-local uh, essentially plants, and they would have the best opportunities to be able to survive if we're doing some mitigation planting. Um, also some discussion about different open space uses, as you did see kind of a larger area that is available um, adjacent to the trail itself. Um, also an interest and uh, in looking at options to staying along the creek um, and, and heading to the south um, as a part of the alignment. And then of course, so lots of concerns um, were coming up uh, with Fremont Avenue and um, how do we get from, how, how would users get from the north side to the south side of Fremont Avenue once the project has been constructed. Next slide. So a couple of things that we did take uh, and go out to do uh, some field walks and some additional um, uh, analyzation and uh, analysis is uh, there's a the Stanford Medical uh, uh, Children's Health Facility um, adjacent to the off-ramp at State Route 85 and Fremont Avenue. We went out and had a field walk, took some pictures. You can see in the upper right-hand corner that there's the fence line there um, on the right-hand side is the creek itself. There's not a lot of room at the top of the bank. It goes down quite steep right away. So there's no real room for us to continue along uh, the creek itself with an alignment. And then if you look at the lower picture, that's the same fence just on the other side, essentially. Um, there's parking spaces that are right adjacent to that fence. So uh, when we were out there on a Tuesday, um, there was lots of activity with the parking lot mostly full. Also received good feedback from the city as it relates to the times that they've been out there and seeing similar uh, parking patterns. Uh, so the alignment through the parking lot, as we looked at it, would impact about 60 spaces, which is approximately 20% of the total spaces out there. So it'll be a pretty substantial parking loss if that's where the um, trail would end up going. Um, and obviously this is private property. Another thing to note as well on the uh, on this site is that Stanford does have a application or development in process as well to look at adding another building that would also be impacting parking at this location. So um, in our initial analysis here, it seems that a trail alignment that would be going either on the creek side or in the parking lot um, just isn't feasible at this point. Uh, next slide. The other thing we looked at and a lot of community concern was around that crossing of Fremont. Um, again, as, as Angela mentioned, council direction was to stop at Fremont with no overcrossing at this point as a part of the project. Um, so we went out and did a field walk. I think as everyone knows, that interchange area is very busy. Um, it's a data design at that location um, with traffic, with complicated traffic operations. Um, and one thing we will look at as we move forward, and we don't have any conceptual plans or anything like that to share with you at this point, um, but we will be looking at how, what a way to get across Fremont would look like potentially um, as a part of the project as we move forward in the design process. Next slide. And with that, I'll turn it back over to you, Angela. Thank you, Sean. So that gets us to where we are now. Uh, so uh, next steps, as, as Sean and I mentioned, we had our community meeting last month where we presented the project and, and the alignment and heard some really good feedback. Uh, we took a closer look at that and we're here tonight to present it to you and also to get your feedback on the project in general. But specifically what we're asking for tonight is to get your recommendation to council. Uh, then next month, we're going to council to review all the outreach, summarize what we've heard and the findings from that and ask for their direction on a preferred alignment. 
that preferred alignment will then be the project that gets environmentally studied and cleared and goes into final design. So, so really, this is a critical step in making sure that we can move forward with the rest of Mark Thomas's scope and, and getting our environmental clearance, getting our final design so we can get closer to the day where folks can, uh, you know, in the neighborhood can put on their hiking boots and walk out their front door and, and hit the hit the trail here. Uh, we expect that uh, environmental and final design will probably take about two years. Uh, so that will put us into about fall of 2024 uh, when construction can begin. Next slide, please. So to wrap up, uh, this is also in your uh, report to commission, but staff's recommendation is that you um, recommend to city council to confirm the alignment that we've proposed to you tonight. Uh, basically the original uh, city council approved alignment with the few revisions. Uh, and, and that will also include connections to Fremont Avenue on both sides of State Route 85. Uh, so with that, that concludes our presentation and we are available for any questions you may have. Thank you. Thank you for that presentation. And for once, I beat Commissioner Wee to the uh, raise hand feature. <laughs> so um, I'm going to get to ask the first question. So I would have liked to have seen the, the route alignment overlaid on an actual like geophysical map because I mean, I, I you know, seeing it on with the drawn in thing and the, the creek thing doesn't sort of give me an uh, an idea of the uh the risks involved with the shifts or whatever it is or or um how it would actually physically look my concern is that i know that in years past there was an area of the creek trail just north i believe of el camino um and uh near 237 which had, had a washout i believe of part of, part of the creek thing and then had to be moved over due to the fact that um, there was erosion, I guess, during a, a high water thing. And with the prospect that um, we might potentially more as a state get atmospheric rivers dumping weird stuff on us. Um, I'm concerned about the fact that the one section, if you can go back to that um, previous slide where, where you have like minimal, I guess it's approaching, I wanna say the south side of Fremont Avenue connection um the i think it's the red line section and not the yellow line section yeah so that i think is on slide nine yeah and and so my concern about that is that i'm worried about um uh erosion of the of the creek sides with with higher water flows affecting the accessibility of the creek trail and i'm wondering if part of the project would be um some sort of I, I don't want to say reinforcement but some sort of um, method of mitigation of possible erosive effects of continued high water flows and stuff like that in in the basin without having too much environmental impact it has you know I don't know if that's been thought about at all because so it doesn't I'm, look like there's a lot of wiggle room there I guess is what I'm trying to summarize <laughs> Right, right. You're you're very right. Um, and and who knows what nature will do in the future, right? <laughs> so I'm gonna ask Sean to chime in about that. But some of the changes that we made obviously were to help with that. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, the northern section really is widely within open space. And by moving the trail 
between Remington and the first creek crossing from right. the State Route 85 side to the neighborhood side, that opens up a lot more space where that's less of a concern. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's just once we get closer down and, and Sean, would you like to, to chime in about any of that? Yeah, I think the only thing that I would add there is that, you know, when you talk about armoring or mitigation or anything like that within the creek, you know, really, we'd have to work closely with uh, Valley Water, as well as the resource agencies with Regional Water Quality Control Board, as well as the Army Corps. Lots of different agencies have um, would have their hands in it at that point. Um, typically, they don't want to use any sort of hard armoring in a natural creek setting like this. Um, it would potentially be through plantings or other things to help with that erosion. Mm -hmm. um, so there will be, you know, that will definitely be looked at as a part of the project. As you've seen, the alignment has already changed in what, seven years, something like that. Um, so there is movement out there that's happening. What we have tried to do with this new alignment, though, is put the trail in the locations where it's least susceptible, uh, susceptible to these types of events. And so, um, but we will be working again closely with Valley Water um, on any of these things that it is, um, you know, used as a flood conveyance um, the channel, you know, conveys a lot of flood water, and so we'll need to make sure that that um, continues to to operate in a, in a way that's acceptable to value water. So I'm trying to understand that the purpose of the red segment, the the segment two, is to permit bicyclists to access um, under the 85 underpass, the streets under the 85 underpass. So the 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 um red segment which kind of hugs state route 85 on the right. east side right so so where they where the three lines converge um that trail that red trail will start to go up in elevation uh-huh and then as you get closer to that trail crossing it is up over it is actually going over the the, the creek and right. then it comes back down to meet at fremont avenue the yellow line, which is more easterly, once it converges, it crosses the creek that kind of loops around, mm -hmm. that then starts to go down in elevation. So when Sean was talking about having to go down underneath the 85 structure, right. that, that's what that is doing. So where the, the red line and the yellow line cross, mm -hmm. uh, where, you know, where before it goes under 85, those are at different elevations. The red line is up in the air and the yellow line is down below to go under the bridge. So then it comes around on the other side of 85 to connect to Fremont. So my question being then um, the segment, the red segment, the segment two, mm -hmm. um, the segment where it splits, where they they separate. Mm -hmm. um, is there any street access along that side until it gets to that Fremont Avenue thing? Because it seems to me that if you cut that whole um, part, I guess if you're looking at it like a letter D, if you remove the back part of that D, wouldn't you just be basically separating it where you already have the two trails crossing uh, red and yellow? Um, and then you would still have access to the um, Fremont Avenue north and south. Um, and then, um, and, but, or is that not feasible because of the elevation changes there? So um, to answer the first part of your question, none of these trails are along any of the city streets. Once, once you get off of either Fremont or Remington, you're right. completely outside of the city street network. Um, no, I meant like there's no street access point. Correct. Correct. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, where the um, 
where Ticonderoga comes and crosses Bernardo and, and it makes the, the street is kind of like a, an arrowhead that points mm -hmm. to the west. Yeah. That's, that's actually a private roadway and a private community. Mm -hmm. And so we are not proposing any access. We haven't talked to that community about having access to their local streets. We would okay. need to, to if, if that was something to be desired, mm -hmm. we would have to work with them on a public access easement, which is not part of our current scope. Um, but if that's something of interest, it, you know, we can bring that to council for consideration. Okay. Um, but does that does that answer your question? Yeah, sort of. Kind of I'm just trying to understand why that segment is necessary at all. If that there seems to be the split where the segments are presently overlapping, which uh, uh, accomplishes um, the the intention, which is the um, accessing uh, accessing Fremont um, north and south. And and, you know, other than having an open space area, which is nice to look at and go through and stuff like that, I'm just wondering if it would just be because because the uh, meandering of the creek bed is going to be such a factor in the future on that section, whether it would just be more feasible to eliminate it now and just keep the the yellow section and then have the split lower down. That is something that could be considered. Um, we scoped it the way that we're showing due to city council's direction to us in 2016 to have the two connections to Fremont. Okay. So let me, uh, I think I need to clarify something for the chair. Yeah. Um, the looping D that you're referring to. Yeah. It's actually going to be lower. So they don't touch at the bridge. There is no physical crossing. One is up high. One is down low. Well, so that's what I was trying to figure yeah. out. Is, is so there's no a, so if you don't if you don't have the D, there's still uh -huh. we can't build a connection to go underneath 85. Okay, so it's required. That's what I was trying to Correct. figure out because so they're actually crossing each other at different heights. Yes, the okay. red is high, the yellow is down low. Okay. All right. So, so, so thank you for that clarification. That's what I was asking about in the beginning when I was talking about the the grade differences. You know whether or not. Okay. So so the that segment is actually necessary in order to cross over at the higher elevation to access the road on that side. Okay. Gotcha. All right. Thank you. That's the end of my questions. Next is Commissioner Wee. Uh, thank you, Chair. <clears throat> um, yeah, the the that's interesting about the erosion. Um, creeks and rivers, they want they need to wander. They want elbow room, so they aren't chained down. Uh, so thank you for that additional information about why uh, um, the alignments had a change for that. Um, let's see, what is the approximate cost of the um, yellow segment two versus segment three? Are they about the same cost, or is one significantly more costly? And about how much is that? just roughly in like tens of millions of dollars. So um, I, I I might ask Sean to chime in here, but to be totally honest, we have not gotten to the cost estimation phase yet. Um, we, he may have a ballpark idea, but but don't quote us on it in the future because we haven't done the engineering analysis yet. <laughs> yeah, that, anything we say is gonna be wrong. Um, I <laughs> put a number out there at this point. Um, you know, both have their complications going over or under. Um, but yeah, we have not done any conceptual level cost estimating um, for these pieces yet. Would they be roughly equal? Uh, approximately? Or it's going to be the going underneath 85 for the touching that bridge structure is going to be complicated. 
um, with tieback walls and other things. So if I had to guess, I'd probably say that segment two is maybe a little bit more expensive um, as well as kind of with the regrade and those large retaining walls that mm-hmm. we'll need to put within the creek itself. So I don't think it's twice as expensive, um, but I think it's more expensive than going over for segment for the segment three stuff. Yeah. Yeah, that's good enough. Thank you. Um, For the red segment three, so that um, lands on the north side of Fremont and the east side of 85. Yes. Uh, For a bridge to eventually span um, Fremont, um, how would they have to reconstruct the red portion that last little bit? Or how would you build a bridge over an existing trail? Because that's a very narrow space. It seems like you'd have to put down footings that would land on this thing you just built. You're ab- absolutely correct. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and um, you know, it, it it also depends on where where the next segment goes. You know, um, anything south of Fremont, as of right now, we don't have any direction from council on uh, that. That would be a separate project, and we don't know at this time what side of eighty five that that connection would be. Um, if the overcrossing would be at at the red segment here, if it would be at Bernardo, if it would be at, um, you know, some other location, Belleville. Um, so, so as of right now, to, to plan for that would be pure speculation and we would probably be wrong. And so it's possible that, that the trail would be fine as is and that the overcrossing would be at another location and we would just have to build the connection between them. Um, it's also possible that part of the segment would have to be reconstructed. We, we really have no, no idea until we do the study, which will be a separate project. Yeah. If I could just add one piece to that, Angela, you know, the, the area that we're talking about as you're adjacent to the ramp there, it's going to be mostly asphalt. So from a, if it was to go there, it's not a lot of expense uh, from a throwaway cost perspective um, as it relates to the overall project, because it is just going to be some rock and some asphalt that would be taken out to be able to provide for the bridge foundations for an overcrossing. Great. That's very helpful. Thank you. Um, yeah, and you just referenced, I was on this original feasibility study uh, as a citizens working group. So I'm intimately, intimately familiar with all of this. And from being on the Friends of Chief Trail also for a long, long time, very well studied area. And you've hewed pretty closely to the recommendations from that feasibility study at this point. Uh, for the yellow segments, um, two, <laughs> where you're landing next to the off-ramp there from 85 southbound, um, have you considered um, since, and thank you for actually doing the additional work to do that, uh, um, the field walkthrough and seeing how steep the bank was. Um, that was a question that we all had around the edge of the parking lot. Could something be constructed there? Um, connecting to the Belleville crosswalk there and the light we make it much easier for people to get across. Can that yellow segment um, basically be extended and use up uh, some road space and basically a road diet and convert some road space into a two-way trail so that people can get to and from Belleville in front of um, right along Fremont rather than having as much space for cars there. Is that a, a feasible thing? It, it's potentially feasible and and it's certainly something that we can take a closer look at. We, we have not looked at that specifically, but but we can. Yeah, the only thing I would, I would add to that is that that is still within Caltrans right away generally through there. So from a standards perspective, we have a little less flexibility um, in what they'll approve for us. Um, but to your point, 
there is, you know, when we're standing out there looking at it, there is room because there's lane transitions that happen there before you hit the bridge as you head west um, into Los Altos. So I think it's physically feasible. One one of my concerns would just be uh, from a design acceptance perspective through Caltrans. Got it. And let's see. And final question. Um, for that red segment three, instead of having it land on, well, actually, I've got two more questions. One for Regman, these um, these two segments. It seems that you're you're on the north side of Fremont. How safe is it for cyclists um, to get to those, like to the yellow segment, coming from the west? How do they get to that right now, given the current design? And for the red segment, when you come off of that, if you want to head east on Fremont, how does a bicyclist navigate those to? on and off, because it seems like there's no crossing there for our bicycles to get onto yellow, the yellow segment. And there's no really crossing there for the red people to get onto Fremont headed west. You're, right. you're, you're stuck at, at some awkward spots. Yeah, yeah, those those are great questions. And, and you know, we heard a lot of that, that type of question and concern from the community as well. Um, so the team has already been going out there looking at ideas, discussing internally all the different options for uh, treatments and, and you know, what, what are the possibilities? And so we, we are, there's so many ways to come at this that we haven't, um, we haven't developed anything that's ready for, you know, showing to the public, but we're definitely looking into it and we'll, we'll be incorporating some sort of crossing treatment uh, in the final design phase. So we're not going to just dump people out and then leave them to fend for themselves <laughs> on the north side of Fremont. Yeah, that is one of my biggest concerns because we have had some projects that have dumped people in bizarre spots, <laughs> great bridges, but then you reach the other side, it's like, I, this is, you do really weird things against traffic. <laughs> Four <laughs> lanes of traffic, you have to cross under an under, underpass, you know. Yeah. Um, okay, and so my recollection, by the way, of the council's recommendation was to get to Fremont, but I don't remember actually stipulating you had to stay on the north side of Fremont. They did not want to deal with um, going down Bernardo. That was clearly a completely separate thing because that was more contentious. Um, so I would think that they'd actually be like having the red segment land on the south side of Fremont so you could connect in Fremont. That way you'd have one connector in the north, one in the south. That would actually provide a completely safe way for people in both directions to get onto the trail and off the trail. Um, so I hope, um, yeah, so I'll, I'll leave it there with my questions and uh, you know, let, let, and I'll leave my comments for after public comments. Thank you very much. Thank, Thank you. you, Commissioner Wee. Commissioner Bonet, followed by Commissioner Hafman. Thank you. Uh, thank you for the report. It's quite, and the explanation is very helpful to understanding the proposal. Uh, similar in, in vain to Commissioner Oi's questions, are you among the options you're considering to deal with the awkward ending of the trail at Fremont? Are you considering bicycle only lights to separate vehicle and bike traffic across and to these entrance ramps? It, for that example, is, red lights that um, that act and green lights that act only for bicycles, not for cars. That's what I mean. That is something that that I think the team has been discussing, um, and it's certainly something that we can consider. But I I don't think we've made any any decisions yet on on a recommendation whether to go forward or not. But yes. Good. I'm glad it's in the mix. <clears throat> um, 
on the east side, sorry, on the west side where the Stanford parking lot is, you did mention that there may be plans to expand that building, but looking at the overhead map, the ratio of parking to building is is on the order of one to one or maybe even greater than in favor of parking. Are there, are there other options to utilize the, the area in or on the parking lot to avoid at least the yellow section emptying out <coughs> right at the confluence of the car ramps to Fremont? So if I understand your, your question, um, you, you're wondering if there are other ways that we could basically keep that yellow segment to along the creek, along the parking lot? Is, is, am I understanding that question correctly? That's right. To, to utilize the parking lot land. You, you okay. mentioned that there wasn't, you know, the, the elevation picture, which was very helpful to understand that the slope is quite steep and drops off immediately after the fence. Uh, we, we didn't seem like a big sacrifice for a, a, a trail extension. Right. Um, so so we we looked uh, the the comments that we heard previously at the community meeting were a desire to stay along the creek. So when the team went out there, they looked specifically at that area adjacent to the creek. We did not look at any other routes through the parking lot, for example, you know, closer to the building or, or something like that. Um, so our initial um, recommendation is that that's not feasible to keep close to the creek. But if, you're, if your question is to um, find other routes through the Stanford parcel, no, we, we have not looked at any other uh, potential routes that don't hug the creek. Yeah, that exactly was my question. Uh, are there routes that utilize the Stanford parcel, in particular the parking spaces? We haven't looked at that. Is that within your mandate? Uh, so, so the uh, council direction from 2016 was to connect the way that we're showing it here on this on this graphic. And is, does that Im imply that you're not permitted to look at others? We, other um, as of right now, we are not. But if that is something that the BPAC would like to put into their action, we can take that to council for their consideration. Um, but but noted that this is private property once we get out of the creek area. Um, and so it would require some extensive, extensive negotiations with Stanford um, and coordination with their, with their current proposed um, development project. Um, so I, I, I can't speak to what that could or couldn't look like because we haven't looked at it in any detail. But, um, but yes, that's, that's the direction we've gotten to date. All right. And last, and Question now on the underpass for the yellow segment under 85. In a typical year, you know, this one was quite exceptional in the amount of rainfall we got in December, January. In a typical year, taking the average of the last 20, how many how many days of the year would you expect the underpass to be unusable due to high water in the creek? You know, that is not my uh, area of expertise. And so I'm wondering, Sean, if you have any any thoughts on that? My, that's a that's a great question that I do not have the answer okay. to. Um, we, we, we could ask, you know, we could ask Valley Water um, for a potential flood levels. I'm not sure how they 
monitor that within the channel itself. Um, but we could figure out you know, pretty quickly if it would be inundated or not, where the trail would be as it does go to the bottom of the channel, essentially, right? As you saw in the conceptual level picture, it yeah. would be adjacent to that, to that low flow. So mm -hmm. I can't, I can't unfortunately speak to that directly. I have not asked that question of Valley Water. I am. Um, will will you include such an analysis in your in your um, environmental study? It's not something that's re required as it relates to when the trail would be open or closed. Um, it's something that we could ask the question and provide the information, but not necessarily required um, for the project itself to be able to be environmentally cleared or designed. Okay, it, it seems like something that would be, you know, just for. Uh, argument's sake, if it were, if the answer came out to be 20% of the time it's closed due to high water, this would be something you really want to know. And last question is, um, you may not have had the council direction, you know, to contemplate the, the areas south of Fremont, but you know, as transportation experts, are you, are you keeping in mind what options might be more suitable for the future connection south of Fremont so that you, you now influence your design preference based on best case scenario for where the continuation of this one will be? Um, short answer is no, we haven't um, looked at different ways to connect to Fremont and tried to project what we think may happen to the south. Uh, I, I think it's less of a, a transportation um, opinion and more of a community decision. And so that's why it got deferred as a separate study, a separate project. Um, so um, yeah, I, 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 I couldn't even guess what that segment's going to look like in the future, but I do know that the intention was to have some very extensive outreach to help define that. Um, so, you know, the the council direction that we got before was to move this project forward. There was there was general consensus and support for this, uh, and so we are we are bringing it up to you know where we got direction. And then once we get into construction, we have the full construction funding and we, we're moving forward and getting this built, then that's the time when we will start looking at doing a study for that next segment. Um, so there's, there's really no way to um, anticipate the, the optimum or, or, or potential connection and way to, to, you know, best place to connect at Fremont on this side. So that, that second segment from Fremont to Homestead then can incorporate any changes that may be needed, uh, whether it's adding an overcrossing, uh, redoing some of the trail at the connections at Fremont, you know, that, that project can then include anything needed to make the two cohesive and, and well-connected. Thank you. That was the end of my questions. I have a feeling our chair might not be online right now. <laughs> she did you okay if I start? <laughs> she did say you were next. Sorry, I'm muted. <laughs> Sorry, talking while I'm muted. Go ahead, Commissioner Haveman, followed by Commissioner Dave. Okay, thank you. Um, 
in doing your walk around there, looking at extending the yellow trail around the edge of the parking lot at Stanford, has Stanford been contacted? Have you talked to anybody at Stanford about this issue? The reason I ask is I actually went out there today and did a walkthrough myself. And the one thing you notice, the parking that is along the creek side, almost all along the roadway between the cars parked on the creek side and cars parked on the other side is like three cars, uh, three lanes wide. Most parking lots have considerably less space for cars parked on one side backing out from cars parked on the other side. Then what's there? It's like when they put that parking lot in, land was cheap. Um, so the question I have, if contacted Stanford and you could actually move that parking back six feet, or maybe where it's, there's a couple spots that might be tight, turn it into parallel parking. Um, you, I can't think of a better organization to want to work with you on this because um, I, I'm a, a patient of Stanford. Every one of their facilities, they go out of their way to make bicycling easy. They might be a good partner here. And so I'm just curious, have you asked, talked to them at all? So we, we have talked to them to let them know about our project, uh, so they're aware of it, um, but we have not talked to them specifically about, excuse me, about uh, running the creek, uh, I'm sorry, running the trail along the creek and, and any coordination about potentially, you know, redesigning their parking. Um, and so, and that's because that's not the direction that we were given from city council. Uh, and then Sean and his team did the field walk out there and um, per their evaluation and, and from our own observations, that's a pretty busy parking lot. I think that the, the types of services they provide out there must be a, a constant, uh, you know, weekday demand. And so, um, you know, our, our initial assessment uh, is that it's not feasible to do that, uh, but we haven't looked at that specific um, uh, issue that that you mentioned, Commissioner Hiffman, about the amount of space behind the parking and if there's any way to redesign, and and that's pretty much because council didn't give us that direction. It's it's outside of the scope of what we've been told. But again, if if that's something that the commission would like to um, recommend to council, uh, by all means, that's something that that we can carry forward to them. Uh, but as of right now, we're not given uh, direction for that. Okay. Second question. On the other side of Highway 85, where the red trail, the segment three, comes out to Fremont, is there room or can there be a bike extension or a path extension uh, for bikes going both ways and plus pedestrians to get you over to Bernardo? And then crossing at the Bernardo light if you need to get on the other side of Fremont. It looks like the way it branches out in the picture, it looks like it goes a little ways, but then just ends. It doesn't make it to Bernardo, so you can't get to that light unless you ride backwards on the sidewalk. Uh, yeah, I, I, um, I'm just looking at the map right now. Um, 
part of the evaluation that Sean and his team are doing, and I'll, I'll, I'll ask him to chime in a little bit because they're the ones that were out on the field looking at this specifically, uh, you know, how to ideas to cross. Um, but that is definitely something that we will take a closer look at in final design um, and, and see what space is available out there. Uh, Sean, did you have any anything to add? Yeah, I would say similar to the the question for the path where it terminates on the west side. You know, that's within Caltrans right away. It seems like physically there is room to be able to do something where there to allow kind of the two-way travel that you're talking about to you to Bernardo. Um, but it's going to be a, a design question uh, and a provability question through Caltrans. Um, and then obviously the detailed traffic operations look that they're going to need to put on this, um, especially if we need to eat into that. Uh, bike lane that goes through there and or the dedicated right turn lane. So there's some complications around the traffic operations, I think, that may limit what we can do um, at that at that interchange and that stretch between the terminus of the red segment three and uh, Bernardo intersection. And that's Caltrans because that's already to the east of the off ramp. I don't understand that. It, yeah, it, it is Caltrans. They're, they're right of way. I think because the two intersections are so close together, they are both Caltrans right of way. Oh, even the Bernardo intersection is. That is my understanding. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, I mean, the one, the one thing that's obvious, I, I think the red, there's question where the red segment should even be there unless you can do that. Otherwise, the okay. only way you can safely get across Fremont is to go over to Bellevue. And you might as well just take the yellow path, go to Bellevue, cross to Fremont at the intersection there, and then head, then head east. If oh. you come in on the red segment, you gotta, you got to turn west, too, to get over to Bellevue. That's the only way you can get across the road. So I, th I think I want to clarify for Angela and Sean is that they're currently not showing how there will be a crossing or how people will interface with the traffic signal at Belleville or the traffic signal at Bernardo. Right now, what we're showing and environmentally clearing is the trail segments along there. As part of the final design, they are going to be looking at how to safely get bicyclists in both directions to these intersections so that people can access the trail. I think we, um, she's at, Angela's answered that a few times and uh, I understand the concerns and, but we'll make sure that when we go into final design, that's an engineering aspect that we are gonna be looking into. And so as part of that, we're gonna look at multi-use trails. We're gonna look at two-way cycle tracks. We're gonna look at bicycle signals, everything that's out there, whether it's protected bike, protected intersections, I would say probably even removing uh, right turn pork chop islands, squaring up intersections. So everything's on the table for it. But I, I, I want you to probably not concentrate on the details of it. But then what we're asking for is a recommendation on the alignment. And then uh, when we go farther, once we finish the environmental, then we could kind of talk more about it once we go into design. So to be clear, the design will come back to the BPAC for review and approval, correct? I would assume that you would want to see this. So <laughs> if you don't, you could tell me now and then it'll make... <laughs> yes, <laughs> we want to see the design for review and approval. <laughs> like I said, I assumed that already from the get-go. Okay, get thank you. 
Well, Commissioner Haveman? Yeah, see, the question I guess I have, what, I, what I'm hearing is we want to approve the two segments, but we're not hearing a commitment that if we approve them, they're going to be useful. Well, the, the yellow one will be because you, you can get over easily, you can get over to Bellevue from there without going against traffic. But the red one, I'm having trouble because I'm not hearing a commitment that you are going to solve it. I'm hearing a statement that we just want to build it and then a future project will deal with it. No, I, I think you're mishearing that. Yes. Uh, what, what, this is not, you know, they're not going to spend tens of millions of dollars on something that's not going to be useful, first of all. Uh, secondly, what they're talking about is because of environmental impacts that they are having to adjust the alignment of, the, of a segment that's already been approved. And they're just asking us to review and approve this alignment adjustment. Then once they get the approval from the city council, that is when they will seek out project bids and design elements and stuff like that. And that will come before us and the council for review and approval. Does that make sense? Yeah, if, if the primary goal here is to approve the realignment of the trail segment itself, then that's straightforward. Yes. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Hapen. Do you have any further questions? Uh, no, how about okay. okay, Commissioner Dave. I just wanted to tell you that my family loves Stevens Creek Trail. Since my kids were old enough to walk, we've been going up and down it. I used to commute to work over part of it, so I can vouch that it used in the old rain regime, it could be closed up to one month for flooding at the north end. So I don't know how the flooding would be down here in the south, but possibly equivalent. Um, my sons have used it um, from when they could scarcely walk to when one of them was training for marathons. And then now whenever he comes home from college, we walk on that trail. It's our family's trail. We love it. Thank you for making it. Um, I just had a couple of clarification questions. And one is um, when rivers tend to bow, don't they try to um, become more extreme as they age in terms of the zigging and zagging? I'm not a civil engineer. Could you, is there a tendency? I am not a uh, hydraulics engineer, <laughs> so I can't answer that question. I, I would think the same, but um, I'll ask Sean to chime in on this. But but I suspect that um, you know Valley Water is responsible for this creek, and so they watch for these things and make sure that, for example, it doesn't um, you know cut into 85 and start deteriorating the roadway or start, um, you know, coming into private properties and causing private damage. Um, Sean, did you have anything to, to add there? Yeah, and I'm not a, a geomorphologist either <laughs> to be able to tell you what exactly that looks like. But in general, I mean, you, your question is, yes, I mean, they do continue to uh, bow out a little bit more in those locations as that's where you see greater scour and velocities happen um, at those points. So, um, but I, I can't get into too much more detail than, than that on it, unfortunately. Well, and that sort of um, comes to my other 
question, but I think you've already clarified this. There's not an either or that we're looking at here. This is a whole, all three segments are the part of the realignment and you're offering um, both sides of the river access. And I'm, I'm guessing you're sort of hedging your bets there because the thing, if it uh, has to go one direction further, you could still use the trail on the other side. Um, I I guess I should phrase that as a question. <laughs> I, I think the, I think the answer is yes. We're presenting this tonight as the uh, proposed alignment in front of you with the changes that we discussed compared to the 2016 version. This is the project that we're proposing, and so the recommendation is to um, recommend to council that this gets confirmed. Okay. You take the high road, and I'll take the low road. <laughs> <laughs> And you can. <laughs> and it's and it'll be great uh, if there's, a, for instance, if you're uh, commuting along it and there's a flood season, you can go on the high road. So thank you very much for answering my questions. That's all from me. Thank you, Commissioner Dave. Commissioner Bonet? Thank you for being kind enough to allow me another round of questions. I have two very brief ones. Uh, again, following on to Commissioner uh, Dave's question on the first bridge on the north end of the red segment and the and the and the creek's continued meandering. What provisions do you have to prevent the undermining of that first bridge in the next twenty years? Um, again, I, I think I might have to ask Sean to chime in on this. I think that that he and I may not be able to get into too much detail because that's more of a structural uh, design of the bridge. But certainly, you know, we we would want to design all of these bridges such that they don't fail in anytime soon. Um, so taking into account what we think the the future erosion will be. And as Sean said, you know, this was a new term for me on this project. Geomorphologists are on the project team <laughs> and they're the experts on that sort of thing. Um, Sean, okay. did you have so any? You, so you, are, you are addressing it. it. It's okay that you don't uh, solve the question, answer the question fully here, but as long as you have the, the idea of this um, creek process in mind, then I think that's, that's assured. One thing I would just add to that is, you know, again, this is Valley Waters facility. They're really the experts in conveyance and their creeks and their systems and what they have to do here. So, you know, we would, we're working extremely closely with them um, and putting these facilities in. And so, you know, they for sure don't want a bridge falling into their uh, creek either. And so, you know, we're going to make sure that we work closely with them to understand what they think is going to happen and predictability for the future. And, and storms is, is not going to be perfect, but setting back the ends of the bridge so that we can span a little farther distance than there is today. And again, I would just say that Valley Water is very in tune with what happens in their watersheds. And so we would just be relying on them to provide insight to us on where they think this thing is going to do in the future. Okay. And then a follow-up to both my earlier question and, and uh, Commissioner Haifman's earlier question on the Stanford parking lot. I don't quite understand how this parking lot can be outside the scope of your mandate if you walked it and counted the usage and counted spots and estimated the impact it would be to put a trail through it. Can you, can you explain please this apparent dilemma or am I misunderstanding some element of the mandate? So, so the, uh, the field walk that the team did was as a result of some of the comments that we got from the 
community meeting last month. And so we were trying to to determine the feasibility of that and, and why that wasn't a recommendation in the original feasibility study. And so that was the purpose of that. That was above and beyond to help address some of the community concerns that we had. So the, the intention there was not to necessarily change the scope, the direction we were given. It was just to help inform the community concerns and also help inform maybe why the recommendation was was written the way it was back in 2016. Thank you. That's the end of my question. I have a, a brief question. So um, first question is um, with respect to when we actually get the final designs, I'm assuming that Valley Water would also have to approve the design concepts for uh, infrastructure um, because it's their property basically, right? Okay. Yeah, yes, they're a major stakeholder. So we've already been talking with them. They know about the project. They'll be reviewing it at every every stage of the way. Okay. And then the second uh, a question or clarification is that uh, I think that um, a lot of focus has been put on the parking lot, but it's a reminder that the parking lot is owned by Stanford University and is not by Valley Water. And it's not part of their easement. So um, the fact that we even looked at it was was an extra above and beyond. But the fact that um, we would have to go through a whole process of, you know, um, what do you call it? Uh, um, when you um, acquire public private lands for, for public- Eminent use. domain. Thank you, eminent domain with Stanford <laughs> University, which I don't want to even think about. <laughs> Let's not say eminent domain. Than, the city does the not city do does. eminent domain. Yes, <laughs> yes. We would Acquire, go through the process to acquire right of way from right, right, an easement agreement or <laughs> yes. something like that, and and it appears that Stanford has plans for the lot, in which case they do not, they're not interested in discussing easements. So, um, so I think that was a major thing, as as unfortunate as it may be, because I personally would have liked to have physically put it further, but it's not, it's not our stuff that we can touch. <laughs> so we're kind of limited to the, the property that we do have easement agreements for. And um, and that is right now the Valley Waters um, easements with respect to the creek itself. So, um, uh, okay. Um, do we have any other further questions or comments from the commissioners? And again, thank you guys for, for letting us pick your brain so very thoroughly <laughs> about this. He's seeing no questions from the commissioners. I'll open it up for, for uh, public comment. Again, um, since we're in a virtual setting, I will ask members of the public to either use the raise hand feature or to dial star nine. Uh, city staff, do we have any members of the public wishing to speak on this item? Yes, we do. So the first one I see is Betsy. Uh, so let me allow you to speak um, and you will have three minutes to speak when you're ready. Thank you. Um, so once again, thank you for this presentation. I do use this trail at least occasionally and I look forward to new parts of it that will bring me in a little bit closer to me. I think the commissioners asked most of what was on my mind here. So I'm looking ahead a little to the detailed design. Um, I recommend thinking in terms of in avoiding segments that are going to be narrow or dark or secluded. Um, avoid building sharp curves and avoid building in you know, bad visibility. Uh, there's a lot of 
a lot of traffic on these trails. And so some of the you know, underpasses in particular can get pretty congested. Um, if the red segment on the map and the yellow segment on the map are both in the plan, um, if you're building both of them, please provide wayfinding in, in advance of that decision point. Um, and then to Commissioner Bonet's question about uh, trail flooding, I commute mostly along a different creek trail. Uh, so, you know, your mileage may vary, um, but the Santa Moss Trail where I commute might be underwater, um, the lower end of it, maybe five or 10 days in a year, whereas parts of the lower Guadalupe River Trail are underwater longer. And I think that's because of ongoing release of water upstream. And I suspect it's also because it has lower underpasses. At any rate, the Santa Moss Trail is also open more days because the city of Santa Clara removes mud and debris promptly after the water subsides. And I know that has not been a priority for the city of San Jose. So some of, some of the availability of the trail in places where it floods does have to do with, with maintenance. Uh, once again, thank you for this uh, presentation and thank you for this project. Thank you. Thank you, Betsy. All right, next we have Jim. Uh, when you're ready, uh, you will have three minutes to speak. Can you hear me? Yes, we can. Yes. Okay. Uh, hi, I'm Jim Meyerson. I'm a 32-year uh, Sunnyvale resident, and I also use the trail more for recreation than commuting to work, but nonetheless quite regularly. I am a member of the uh, a board member of the Friends of Stevens Creek Trail, although I'm speaking now as a, just a resident and an individual. And uh, a lot of the questions uh, have been uh, answered uh, in the session already. I had a, a prepared list, and I'm happy to say that uh, Angela and Sean and the commissioners have, have been very perceptive, at least to my viewing. Um, but I do want to draw light to a letter uh, that the Friends of Stevens Creek and Bike Sunnyvale together uh, put together following the uh, June 18th community outreach that Angela led. And uh, in that, we outlined three points, which I think uh, we would like to register here as well. Um, the first is we feel that um, uh, the uh, Mark Thomas team and the related uh, uh, people there uh, should look at alternatives on all four corners, essentially, of the uh, interchange of uh, State Route uh, 85 and Fremont Avenue. We realize that only two are gonna be built now and we're perfectly comfortable. In fact, we would like to see that uh, with that decision. Uh, but nonetheless, it'd be nice to have the other two corners uh, shovel ready when the right time comes, uh, because I think ultimately I, there's general consensus that over the years, probably four different entries will eventually have to be made for the trail, certainly once the trail goes further south than uh, stopping at Fremont Avenue. The um, second concern was uh, uh, where the red trail segment three uh, terminates at Fremont Avenue on the east side of uh, Highway uh, 85. Uh, if you look more closely, that's a point where there's a lot of traffic. There's actually a lot of traffic that's just getting onto the highway entry ramp and starting to seriously accelerate. So there's a safety factor that we would hope people would consider uh, about um, moving that position when it comes to that point to perhaps cross over Fremont like Commissioner uh, we was asking. We think it's not only a cost thing, but it's in fact a public safety issue. 
And finally, we're encouraged to hear the questions about uh, using the uh, Stanford parking lot. Uh, we think that the team here should at least have some conversations with Stanford. Well, I don't think anyone here knows whether they're amenable to uh, granting some sort of easement or not and, until we've talked to them. So thank you again for this meeting, for allowing us to, uh, to say things here. And I can't wait to get on the trail when the new segment is built. I'm done. Thank you. Thank you, Jim. Okay, next we have Garth, are you ready? I will allow you to speak and you will have three minutes. Hello? Yes, we, yes, can, we can hear you. you. Okay. Hi, uh, my name is Garth Williams. I'm uh, also a on the board of the Friends of Stevens Creek Trail with Jim. And uh, I am speaking uh, only on my, uh, uh, as an individual now. Um, and the one thing I think uh, as, uh, 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 you know, um, Kim, we had already said, I don't believe uh, I was there in 2016 when council at the council meeting into the wee hours of the night uh, and finally got to the uh, you know consensus that they were going to bring the trail down to Fremont and uh, agreed to that, but not yet to build on uh, Bernardo south of there. And I don't recall any discussion that it that this the landings at Fremont had to be on the north side uh, of the um, uh, of this of the Fremont Avenue. And I think uh, we all recognize putting someone where they would maybe have to go uh, across traffic if they were trying to go farther east uh, could be very complex. It seems like there's a much better landing uh, to, to be had on the south side of Fremont that also eliminates all of the stress of that intersection uh, if you did the overcrossing. Uh, as part of this project instead of uh, waiting. And the other thing is uh, the, I mean, the council in 2016 and the feasibility study all said that uh, the trail, the, the options for going south were one, potentially Bernardo, or two, uh, do nothing in that area as far as the trail. So uh, once that feasibility study is over, there may be no additional project to go further south. And I would like to see if we could make a, a low stress crossing of Fremont, put that overcrossing in this project, uh, and then hopefully uh, it would be able to accommodate either the trail going down uh, Bernardo in a future date or uh, this just being the end of the trail. And uh, that way we've got that built and ready to go uh, either way with the, you know, with the potential for that. And obviously the sooner we do things like those over crossings, they probably cost less. And it, the more we delay, of course, uh, it'll uh, cost more to get that built. Thank you. Thank you, Garth. Okay, next we have Jonathan. So I will allow you to speak. Uh, and whenever you're ready, please unmute and you will have three minutes to speak. Hi, 
Uh, this is Jonathan Blum. I'm a resident of Sunnyvale. Um, I uh, wanted to agree with uh, the things that uh, Jim Meyerson and Garth uh, have just said. Um, the landing of segment three, the red segment, uh, is really problematic. It uh, is at a, uh, a very short section between Bernardo and uh, the on-ramp, which is only about 150 feet, in which cars are coming around the corner from Bernardo or down Fremont and getting ready to accelerate onto the ramp uh, going very quickly. So, uh, you know, I know there is an intention to, uh, sincere intention to, uh, to try and work out a way to make it less dangerous, but uh, without knowing how that's going to work, it's kind of worrisome. And I think that a, uh, a decision to go over uh, Fremont uh, to the other side uh, of uh, Fremont would be uh, appropriate. Uh, I realize that's beyond the scope of the original project, but I think that's what should be uh, reconsidered by council. Um, with respect to uh, segment two, the yellow section, um, it's certainly true that that would be uh, up to Stanford as far as whether something could be done uh, uh, and, and how that would be engineered. Uh, there will certainly have to be a long climb out of the section that goes under 85 so much of that would be below the grade of the parking lot. Um, and Stanford might be interested in that or might not, but uh, there's no harm in, in asking if that is a desired alignment um, because they can always say no and then that's no, but but they they might be interested as uh, one of the commissioners already pointed out, um, you know, they are a, a, an organization that's been amenable to cycling interests. Um, finally, I did have a question uh, for Mr. O'Keefe, uh, the uh, picture of the uh, segment uh, two shows it coming out essentially underneath uh, 85 and then making a sharp about an 80 degree left turn uh, up the bank um, to get to the uh, the area next to the Stanford property, uh, essentially between Stanford and the uh, 85 South off-ramp. Um, but it, it can't really go straight like that because it's a very steep climb. So I'm imagining there is envisioned some sort of uh, structure that would enable the trail to climb up the bank uh, and rather than the way it's depicted in the understandably very schematic uh, diagram that's shown there. I was hoping he could comment on that at some point. Thank you. Thank you, Jonathan. Are there any other members of the public wishing to speak on this item? Seeing none. Okay. Seeing none, I will close the public comment and then I will ask uh, any discussion for a discussion or a motion from my colleagues. Commissioner Wee. Uh, thank you, Chair, and thank you for all who attended tonight. I was very excited to see actually more attendees and panelists for a while earlier <laughs> in the evening. Wow, yes, people came to, to chime in. So thank you for uh, speaking for those who spoke and others who came to listen. Um, this is a really exciting. I am really pleased to see this part get really close to my house now because I live just off Fremont Ave and I'm really looking forward to hopping onto the trail. Uh, so the alignment piece down to Fremont, all of that I'm just fine with because I think it, um, it has some challenges and uh, some environmental things to work through. Uh, my, as I articulated earlier, my biggest concern is making sure that the connection on Fremont works for cyclists in all directions. Uh, pedestrians, I think, um, they would be served well enough. Well, they are still a little bit roundabout to get to those locations, but the sidewalks in the area can serve them. 
Um, but bicyclists <clears throat> are really stuck unless we have them forced to be riding on sidewalks. And I really dislike um, forcing bicyclists to have to get off their bike when they want to bike someplace um, to get over places. The red segments, um, like taking away that right turn only lane um, would solve the, the real estate issue. But would I know that intersection gets very backed up. I used to commute there through there by car mm -hmm. and Bernardo would back up and uh, Fremont would back up and it would be a mess. And trying to come up with some clever technical solution is just it's just very complicated. I am very, very much in favor of <clears throat> abandoning the northeast corner. Just let that one go and just fly using that fly over and land on the south side of Fremont. Then we'd have a connection on the north and south side of Fremont, as well as on the east and the west side of 85, that I think would be a durable, um, as um, I believe Garth Willings pointed out, if this is the end of the trail, that would be a nice final termination point for the trail if it never went down Bernard or further down Bernardo, that would serve everyone without having to come up with really clever or difficult or complicated bike lights and things. It would just be a very natural connection. And I think it's well worth creating a long-term permanent one that keeps the Fremont intersection relatively clear and unencumbered as much as possible so that the existing traffic can get through there. Although I am in favor, by the way, of reducing vehicle miles traveled. So if we make it harder for cars, that's good for me, but we'll hit a lot of headwinds with other residents that still want to use their cars. So having that um, flyover uh, over onto the southeast side, um, I am very much in favor of that versus even trying to terminate it on the northeast side, just because that that northeast corner. Wow, I have trouble envisioning how that would work unless you did eminent domain on the uh, um, the senior care center there and it took away land from them somehow to make it wide enough because it's very constrained. So we don't want to go there, flying over to land in the southeast corner um, and then having the other one on the yellow piece. I still think um, I actually I could see actually. Um, changing up that off-ramp and not allowing a free right turn and have a bicycle thing pile up there. They back up onto 85 a lot, which already gets backed up again, uh, which slowed down traffic. Um, connecting to the Belleville um, crossover both serves that neighborhood better and gets people in and out and gets them to an established intersection. They're used to having a light for crossing for both heads and bikes. Um, so that's where I'm currently headed. I'm not going to make a motion yet because I want to hear from my other uh, commissioners before um, I formulate anything, or maybe one then one of them will formulate uh, a motion. So that's where I'm currently at. I would definitely like to see connected to Belleville uh, for the yellow segments, uh, segment two, and flying over um, the problematic section on the northeast corner, just landing on the southeast corner as a better uh, connection for this as part of this um, project. Uh, thanks very much. Thank you, Commissioner I Before anybody else comments, I will redirect the commissioners to, again, we are talking solely at this point about the realignment of the proposed trail due to climatic changes in the stream bed. And we are not talking about the specific design elements of the trail at this point. So um, I don't, I would encourage the commissioners to not get into the weeds on the on-ramps, off-ramps, intersections, whatever, but we're just talking about right now the realignment of the trail. That's what they're looking for. And then once we get the actual project plans before us, where we can actually look at what the options are 
how useful they will be, how safe they will be, then the kind of uh, input that um, we've been provided will be definitely meaningful and much look forward to. So if I may say. Um, Chair, just to respond to that, I think we it's within our purview to recommend a extension of the project to go to the south side, which would be something to be part of the environmental impact report, which would happen next. Are you proposing that as a friendly amendment then? We don't have a motion on yet, uh, but that was going, that was my motion was going to actually make that uh, as a motion to um, have us or have council direct staff to say, yes, that is the best connection is to go to the south side of Fremont and make that part of the project. And council can choose to do that and we can choose to recommend it. We are not constrained um, to only be within the bounds that staff is constrained, but we are not as constrained as staff is in what our recommendation is. I believe right, right, but the motion before us is to the alignment is what we're talking about is alignment. So and extend the alignment, and there's no motion yet. Right, right, that. right. But you know uh, what I'm concerned about is that we, you know, we're talking about the intersectionalities, and the, and I under I agree, you know, uh, that that is an important um, issue, set of issues. And definitely the usefulness of, of the trail um, is important. But I, you know, I also think that it's a little premature at this point, because right now they're just talking about where to put the darn thing, let alone what what it will actually be. And so to speak to your comment, yes, where it ends up, I think that if they're going to do the flyover, they might as well do the flyover over eight, you know, Fremont Avenue so that there's an off ramp on the other side of the street. That makes perfect sense to me. But beyond that, I think that um, it's not what is before us for review and discussion tonight. So, do we have any further commissioner comments? on the motion on on the recommendation before us i have my hand raised um sorry commissioner haveman i'm back on it on the panel and uh, not on the panelists i'm on the attendees i beg your pardon let me <laughs> let me switch back commissioner haveman okay thank you um we don't have a motion in front of us and i understand what came to us but i think what we're saying here is it and I'm I'm we're saying here on the red segment three there needs to be a bit more work done to even determine if the segment is feasible at all because we don't want to drop it down if we don't have a plan to get people to a stoplight where they can cross the street then that segment isn't useful. And all, I, all we're asking for is a plan. So I would want to do a motion to say, go to council with this, but we want two things. We want a plan on how to get a bicycle across Fremont that comes off that trail. It can be a bridge over to the south side. I think that's a great idea because it dovetails nicely with the yellow segment too. But it can also be some kind of a path that gets us up to one of the stoplights that we can cross. And I think the other part of it about getting around the erosion of the creek is great. 
but it's not complete enough to justify segment three. And so I would like to propose a motion. I would like to propose a motion that has two additions to that. That is to approve the adjustments that were made because of the creek. But in order to qualify segment three as a project at all, we need to have a proposal on how to get a bicycle onto the south side of Fremont Avenue without having to ride on sidewalks and without having to cross a street without a, without a stoplight. Um, before we um, vote on that motion, because I think we actually have to vote on the motion and then you can amend, the, you can propose an amendment. Uh, I'm sorry. We don't have a motion right now. We just have you a You just proposed one. <laughs> um, so, uh, Mr. Eng, did you want to speak on something of this, please? Yes, I was just going to say that uh, what Commissioner Haveman was mentioning, it, I, I understand what he's saying. I would just make a small edit that, how about we just say that we would, that staff would ensure that as part of the final design, that there is a safe access, safe a safe connection to the traffic signals at the at either end. So we just don't leave it at Fremont or Belleville because um, we're going to bring it. We're more than likely going to bring it to both sides and make sure that people can get to both of them. Um, and sorry if, if I use more than likely. We are going to look at both sides and then we're going to make it safe. I I wouldn't add in the overcrossing because at this point it's not under Mark Thomas's scope of work. So <laughs> if I were to add that in there, it would likely cost more time and more money uh, for that purpose. Okay, um, what, I, I understand what you're saying, Mr. Eng, but I think we can make a recommendation onto whether, when, when the, Onto our vote that what what we want done with respect to uh, whether or not the we feel that the original scope needs to be expanded to include access points beyond what has been specified in this particular segment. Yes, if the BPAC wants to explicitly say you want a con an overcrossing onto the other side, yes, you can do that. I'm I'm I just I was just trying to. Um, give you a method to to get to, out of the weeds. I understand to get out of the weeds. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> to keep yes. all this moving on. <laughs> well, I'm sorry, Commissioner Haveman. Yes, the point I'm I'm trying to make is I'm not trying to pick a solution. What I'm saying is I think the scope has to be expanded enough that a proposal can be made without doing the detailed design to solve this problem. I, I agree that access is critical to the usability and safety of, of the trail points. I, I'm not disagreeing with you at that at all. And I know the intersection is, is crap, <laughs> to be blunt. Um, and and it, it is an issue that needs to be resolved. Um, well, I have a motion that I put forth. Okay, well, before you put forth your motion, let me hear from Commissioner Wee, and then we can go back to you if you wish to propose a motion, unless Commissioner Wee wanted to propose a motion. 
No, so he got him. I was going to second his motion. Okay. So, Commissioner Hafeman, please propose your motion. <clears throat> I propose that we approve, recommend that council approve the modifications along mm -hmm. the trail that were made due to creek adjustments, et cetera. Right. However, the segment three needs to be expanded to show a proposed route to a stoplight that could be used to get across um, or a method to get across Fremont Avenue, either a stoplight or an overpass. Okay, so let me see if I can rephrase this for you just a little bit, if you'll permit me. Okay, so your motion would be that we approve the recommendation, uh, alternative one recommendation as stated to city council with the amend with the addition that um, it, uh, as specified that there needs to be uh, clear and safe access from the southbound side of Fremont Boulevard, as well as the northbound side to the proposed trail segments. Does that make more sense? It's not quite strong enough. I just want to see a proposal, just like we've got a proposal for the rest of it. We will see a proposal. The, 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 the thing is, is um, uh, what I'm they're- what... That, I'm saying that because I don't think we should, I don't think we should recommend this move forward until that work has been done. Commissioner Wee. Um, Commissioner Haven, I've got a um, <clears throat> a simplification of your, mo our friendly amendment to your motion, which would be, um, let's just ask um, city council um, that we recommend just going to the Southeast, or to the Southeast corner, um, and then let council figure it out. If they they say no, that just can't be done, they'll come up with a you know an alternative solution because that is the simplest, easiest to envision design here, and it just keeps it really simple. Um, the west side, I can see that eventually connecting. The east, the northeast corner though, is just wow. <laughs> That's a really tough one, and I think the really the the best solution is just coming to the southeast corner. And um, you know, council can just say no, we're we're not going to do that because we don't want to spend the extra money, or they could say yeah. Wow, that makes a lot of sense. So my um, friendly amendment would be for the um, segment three, the BPAC views the north, uh, the southeast um, connector with the overcrossing of Fremont to be the most logical and, and safest practical solution. And we ask that uh, the project be include that as part of um, this project. The issue I have with that is you're proposing a solution. Um, yeah, we, but actually this whole alignment is a solution as we're choosing those bridges and the alignment there, we're extending the staff recommendation basically, uh, at our BPAC to say, no, the, the staff was constrained and not being able to cross Fremont. We're not so constrained. I'm landing on that Southeast corner. Um, if that's the final end of the trail, that would actually be a really nice connector, both, um, for the, as is. And let's go for the nicest solution versus trying to come up with a complicated traffic thing that would solve it just sticking to the north side. Um, and then council can come back and say, well, no, we'd like the more complicated thing. I'd like to have the uh, uh, our BPAC recommend the cleanest, easy, the most obvious end solution. That, that is segment three extends to the southeast corner of Fremont. 
Yes. Okay. Just leave it at that. So it's a pretty simple motion. And we won't even say over crossing. We're just going to say segment three needs to extend to the southeast corner of Fremont. You figure that it out. Way, they figure it out. Does that make more sense to you, Commissioner? Okay, I'll, I'll accept that. Okay. So to to summarize your motion, just and so and so you can say yes or no in this, is that um we um move forward with the recommendation of alternative one with the amendment that segment three must end at the southeast corner of Fremont. That's great. Okay, you accept that. Okay, um, Commissioner Wee, you're second. I, I, I also accept that. Okay. Now, <laughs> you guys have both argued it, but Commissioner Hafman, to your motion, do you have anything to say? Uh, we've been talking about it for the last half hour. I can't think of anything else to add. Okay, well, I just want to proceed with the formalities. Commissioner Wee, to your second. Um, yes, I like this as the simplest long-term solution that, uh, so I fully support it. Thank you. Okay. Okay, therefore, to reiterate on item um, 23-0028, the motion is that we recommend to City Council to confirm the preferred alignment to Stevens Creek Trail to Remington Drive with the, uh, with the, requirement that segment three ends on the southeast corner of Fremont. Okay, yep. <laughs> just to make sure city staff has that all straight. <laughs> all right, then uh, since we have a motion and second, um, city staff, will you please take a random uh, order voice vote? So, Chair Mailman? Aye. Commissioner Bone? Yes. Commissioner Owe? Yes. Commissioner Haifman? Yes. Commissioner Dabe? Yes, I agree. So, the motion will carry with five yes and zero no. Okay, terrific. At this point in time, I think it it would be wise for us to take a, a uh, 10 minute break to resume at 9.22 with the next item on the agenda. I think we all need a drink of water or a shot of wine or something after all that. And, uh, and thank you again, everybody for that presentation and the very lively discussion and um, on the Stevens Creek Trail. And we'll see you at 9.22 exactly, please. Thank you.
I needed potato chips after that one. <laughs> Having a little bit of dinner. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Are we back to broadcasting yet? Yes. Okay. Welcome back, everybody. Now we get to move on to fun stuff. Not that that wasn't fun. <laughs> but it's our annual review of design concepts. Item number 230335, discussion on design concepts for our 2023 utility bill insert. So, Commissioner, we you have your hand up already. What? I'll wait for the staff presentation, but I have some ideas that I want oh, to. Oh, 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 oh. So you're doing the, you're trying to beat me out in the hand raise. Okay. Do we have a staff report? Um, so today we want the BPAC to have an open discussion in terms of ideas that uh, BPAC might want to um, put forward as the design for this year's um, utility bill insert. Um, typically, the design are related to bicycle or pedestrian. Um, it could be for safety. Um, um, it could be education, it, you know, like it could be a various, um, various different type of ideas that are related to bicyclists and, and pedestrians. And um, the, this utility bill insert is scheduled to be sent out to Sunnyvale residents in um, July, August timeframe of this year. The utility bill inserts um, designs from previous years have been attached um, in the meeting, meeting agenda package mm -hmm. for the commissioner to review and you know a reminder of what was included previously with that um that concludes the staff reports okay now i'm interested in hearing commissioner wee's ideas thank you chair yeah i've got two ideas um one for bicyclists and one for pedestrians um, based on some recent state laws that uh um were passed and i'd like to have one to um and one we have we've always had a three-foot clearance law but we actually haven't really broadcast that as loudly it's sort of been mentioned in the fine print mm -hmm. and people may not have seen it but now that three foot law has been changed so now it's um three feet and if there are two lanes in the direction going the mm -hmm. uh, um 
<clears throat> car is supposed to shift a lane over. So that it would apply in our case to Wolf and uh, Fair Oaks are kind of busy. Rather than trying to lane split and have someone buzz you, they're supposed to shift a whole lane over. So I'd like to have one side just be talking about that three-foot clearance for bicyclists. And if you've got space, just shift the whole lane over um, away from the bicyclists um, so that you don't uh, pass them closely. The one for pedestrians is we've got the Freedom to Walk Act passed. And so that now it's <clears throat> um, police no longer enforce um you know, crossing at spots where right. the pedestrian says there's no one around and it's like a long way to walk. It's okay to cross, but you've got to make sure it's safe mm -hmm. before you try crossing. So have something in that side for the pedestrians to know that they now have the freedom to walk. They can't, they shouldn't fear being prosecuted for something that they see as safe and they cross and have someone um, ticket them because um, that is now prohibited by the, uh, the, the state legislation. Now they do have to make sure that there's no vehicles approaching where there's no crosswalk. Um, so those are my suggestions, uh, one for pedestrians, one for bicyclists. Um, there's little complications around them that you take some explanation. That's why you have a whole side panel to make sure you walk through the scenarios and staff can come up with some recommendations in that space and how to educate our populace on those two changes. Hmm. Yeah, because we don't necessarily want to be encouraging people to actually jaywalk. They're they won't be prosecuted for it. It's no longer uh, something they will be prosecuted. It's no longer something they will be cited for. But it's still a behavior that people need to exercise with the appropriate amount of caution. And actually, the history of jaywalking was that was a, a crime invented by the auto industry to punish pedestrians for being in their way. <laughs> And we're kind of we're in this shifting mode to say, no, pedestrians you know, deserve to be able to have a short route, like in El Camino in particular. It's like sometimes you have to walk a mile or two to right. get around a spot because it's a long way between where the crosswalks are. Yet we have all these uh, these car crossings, allow cars to take the short way when it's the poor pedestrian really is the one that suffers because they have to walk a super long way. So it's like, wow, the pedestrian has to hop into the car in order to get across the street. Right. <laughs> which you really want them to give, be able to get across the street. In fact, um, when I bought my car at a Toyota dealership, um, they had a parking lot right across the street. They just looked both ways and said, no, we're not walking all the way down a mile down the, <laughs> the crosswalk. We're going to just go to stop across this to get to their parking lot. So I could get my car when I bought my Prius. They just went straight across El Camino. <laughs> yeah. So I, you know, uh, what I'm saying is, is yes, I agree with you that uh, definitely pedestrians should be able to cross where, where, where they need to, to get safely. Right. It's just that we don't want pedestrians thinking that um, <laughs> just because they're crossing um, mid, you know, uh, jaywalk, <laughs> technically jaywalking, um, that, that also gives them the right of way. You know what I mean? Because yeah, we can also though tell motorists that, Hey, you may see pedestrians doing this. Be safe around them and watch out for them elsewhere. Right. So them. right. I, I, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so that were, those were my ideas. And also these other um, ones from the past, these are great in future years to recirculate because a lot of them still apply. But I, I would like to do something new this year because we have reused, I think last year we reused one that had been done before, sort of. So those are my ideas. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Wee. I would like to add on to your ideas that I almost would like to have a pool noodle ride with three foot pool noodles attached to the backs of bikes to show, uh, to say, use your noodle, stay three feet away from the cyclist kind of thing as the motto. <laughs> Anybody else have any ideas? 
Do you like any of the past stuff? I mean, again, I got my hand raised. Oh, I'm sorry. I can barely see in your background there. And I'm like looking at your face and not looking at the panelists. Um, yes, Commissioner Haveman, please speak. <laughs> I want to second uh, what um, Commissioner Wee said about uh, three foot distance and the new law about changing lanes if you can on a multi lane road mm -hmm. to pass a bicyclist. I think that's really important, especially the three foot distance, because I still think most motorists know that is the law. Uh, so that's a really important one. And we don't have many protected bike lanes. So maybe this one's not appropriate, but at some point, even I would like to be educated on how does a car make a right turn lane at a protect, protected bike lane? Because without the protected bike lane, the car merges, is supposed to merge into the bike lane before behind the cyclist. Turn. Behind the cyclist, not in front. Yeah, I've always been right hooked many a time, yes. But in a protected bike lane, uh, they can't merge into the lane. <laughs> so that that might be something, I don't know if it applies yet because Sunnyvale doesn't have much in the way of protected bike lanes yet, but they will someday. Well, I agree with you. Um, I like that idea of educating drivers on how to deal with uh, protected bike lanes. The only ones that I've had to deal with have been ones down in Cupertino. Um, there aren't any in Sunnyvale right now. <laughs> there are zero in Sunnyvale, if I remember correctly, protected bike lanes. <laughs> there is one that I know of on the north side of- Temporary one? <laughs> no, there's um, on Mary, on the very north end. Um, there's a protected bike lane there right now. The north end of Mary. Oh, right. yes. Yeah. And there's a little bit along Matilda also um, heading southbound. I'm not sure about northbound. I forget. At any rate, um, just uh, regarding how to do a uh, turn, um, Silicon Valley Bicycle Coalition has worked on VTA and a video on that, that topic. Um, so, you mean the um, right turn? Yeah. How to deal with protected uh, bike lanes. As a driver, what do you do? Um, so that's actually one of our projects we're currently working on with them. So that might be something good for a future um, insert where we have like a QR code to the video uh, thing, because I think seeing is a lot more educational and trying to fit something on a nine, was it nine by five or whatever our dimensions are, um, insert. Um, Commissioner Dave. And we could just put the at the web address without having to take up as much space as a QR code. Okay. Um, I think scanning a QR code is a heck of a lot easier than entering a web address, but that's just my techno thing. <laughs> now, it may be like a nine months to a year before the video is available. So it's mm. going to be production time. Okay. So not for this year, but for next year. So, <clears throat> so um, aside from the, um, the um, pedestrians are allowed to cross mid block um idea and um the uh switching lanes the bicycles can use you know uh, switch switch over to another lane bicyclists can use the full lane thing basically um what other oh commissioner bonnet i i wanted to add that in addition to these great ideas of 
educating both cyclists and drivers and pedestrians, uh, we could also inform the public of other opportunities to learn about safe bicycle use on city streets. There are that we have in this in this forum discussed the various means of bike education available. And in the VTA BPAC, there are also mentions every once in a while of online bike education schools. Uh, perhaps we could we could simply list a few of them as websites or QR codes. So this is online bike, bike education schools for cyclists or for drivers? Ideally both. Uh, I thought intended towards bicyclists to encourage more people to bike and understand it. But um, if there are such a things, is if there is such a, 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 a website or a education series devoted to educating cars about how to peacefully coexist with bicycles, I would be all for that. Okay. I would also like to, um... I, I like the education idea, that's a possibility. And then I would also like the, the previous things where we're trying to encourage people to attend BPAC meetings. It was great when we had 16 uh, attendees uh, coming in the thing. And in, pre in past um, inserts, we have talked about um, the BPAC um, and uh, in a very general way where we talk about improvements, traffic safety and future projects. Um, I would like to um, reiterate that, but I would also like to get the words, uh, you know, of traffic safety out there because that kind of uh, implies cars and like get the bicycle and the pedestrian back into the description on the header there. So that would be my suggestion that we're talking about traffic safety and the concept of cyclists and pedestrians, not motor vehicles. They have plenty of stuff. <laughs> Um, so, so that would be my suggestion. Um, do we have any other suggestions from commissioners? Because otherwise I'm going to go to the public comment. Hang on a second. I just lost my, my spot here. Hang on a second. Ay, 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 ay. Sorry. Lost my script. Did I just close it? Sorry, slipped on my. Okay. I just closed my script like an idiot. Hang on a second. Clicky finger issue. All right. Um, okay. So let me go back to where we were. Um, we were talking about, let me scroll this down. Thank you. Item number um, 230335, discussion on design concepts for the utility bill. Do we have any members of the public wishing to speak? Seeing none at this time. Okay, then I am closing the public comment portion of this. Um, okay. Um, we don't really have a motion to vote on technically since we're just discussing design concepts. So at that point, we're gonna move on to the 
next item on the agenda, oh, which is one more comment. Oh, I really, I really <laughs> like your pool noodle idea, by the way, and I would like to keep it really simple and big about the three feet thing because mm -hmm. so many people just don't aren't paying attention to the three feet clearance. Right. Um, so be really big and obvious and that, that try to avoid a lot of fine print because some of them we've got a lot of little stuff that you've got to read and just make it really yeah. simple and easy. Yeah. Um, like bike lanes are for bikes. Don't put your cars, don't put your trash cans, don't put your leaf piles in there. <laughs> go for the three feet clearance. Yeah. <laughs> I like the use your noodle thing and then having a picture yeah. of a cyclist with a pool noodle on the back of the thing, you know. <laughs> That's a nice illustration concept. Yeah. 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 So. I look forward to seeing um, what staff makes of our comments and coming up with some ideas. Thank true, you. True. I think uh, a future noodle rod would be fun. <laughs> okay. Yes, so, um, staff will be working on some mock-up and provide that um, to be packed to consider um, hopefully by next month. So okay, cool. All right, I, moving on to the next agenda item 230336, discussion on projects for the Transportation Development Act, TDA Article 3 application. Do we have a staff report? Yeah, um, so as mentioned last time, um, TDA Article 3 is a um, fund, is a, it, it comes from a sales tax revenue um, designated for bike and pet projects. Um, so every year, the amounts that Sunnyvale gets. Um, would differ because it is um, from sales tax. Um, this year, we do not know how much we will be getting yet. Um, we should know sometime next month. Okay. Um, however, um, we are, um, we do, so the call, we will have more information from BTA next month. However, um, due to the schedule, we do need to um, let VTA know by um, the end of April whether we plan to bank the funding or if we plan to use the funding to um, for a specific project. That's why uh, we wanted to have BPAC to have this discussion this month to start brainstorming on ideas of on different projects, um, so that we you know with the ideas staff could actually look at potentially whether it's feasible and uh, potential cost estimates and bring it back to BPAC for consideration in April. Um, um, just as a reminder, um, for fiscal year um, 1920 and 2021, we use um, both those years, um, two years um, budget um, to implement improvements at Fremont, Manet, and Bob White, which is currently under construction. Um, for fiscal year 21-22, we um, are using that funding to implement bike and pet pathway spot improvements as, at three of the um, Bike path, bike and pet pathways, and also to conduct a couple of studies. And then um, last year we did bank the funding um, in the amounts of two hundred and ten thousand dollars, roughly, um, for future use. And um, to report back on um, the couple of um, studies that we have done um, in using previous years funding, um, one of them is um, to evaluate the um, gate at the Crawford. Um, location um, leading to um, Las Palmas Park. So we work with the, our city avarice to try to identify if we could widen the gates um, to provide a widened opening. Um, and, and so we, we were told that, you know, it is feasible to widen it um, within the limit of the tree, you know, not, not so that we don't disturb the trees and the tree roots and so forth. Um, so that could be something that we could implement um, and 
we're still working on the budget, but roughly we're looking at um, roughly about 130,000 to implement that improvement. Um, and then for the other location that we looked at is the intersection of um, Helena and Kenwick, um, where we looked at whether we could um, potentially make some changes to the self-control self intersections there. However, um, looking at the traffic counts and the number of people who bike and walk at that location, it doesn't um, it doesn't meet the warrant to um, make it into to switch the the stop control direction or to make it a four um, to make it into a four way stop sign. Um, however, um, improvements that could still be done at that location include install installing curb extension. At four of the corners, which would and and also upgrading the curb ramps to um to ADA compliance of um, directional curb ramps, and um also striping Helena um to be um you know with some striping improvements to um such that it would um become a three B a class three B facility. Um, with those improvements, um, we are estimating that because the cost of implementing curb extension is actually pretty high. So we are estimating that we do need to bank about um, four to five years of funding in order to implement those improvements. So you're saying about a million dollars worth of funding for those improvements? Yeah, to, yeah, it is <laughs> roughly that. Amount. Okay, I, I, I had my hand up first, Commissioner Wee. I beat you this time. So um, quick question, Ms. Zhang. Um, for that last intersection you mentioned, mm -hmm. which it would have been nice to see a picture of uh, to remind ourselves of what was going on there. Mm -hmm. um, the You said the counts conducted uh, did not support, what what was the phrasing you used? The counts conducted of- We of, took a look at whether A, we, whether we could switch. Currently the stops control are on the Helena side. Right. Newark, um does not have any control. So right. we the, to see if we could change it such that the stop control would be on Kenwick side. Uh-huh. And Helena would not have the stop control, but the, but the, um, but Thank the, you. Um, yeah, sorry <laughs> Yeah, but the counts did not support that. The counts of pedestrians and cyclists did not support that, um, or the counts of vehicles. So it's a combination of vehicular traffic um, and plus any but and, and and counts for bicyclists and pedestrians. So there wasn't sufficient cyclists and pedestrians at this unsafe intersection to justify making improvements. To, oh, well, not not okay. making improvements to justify to, to change the direction of the stoppage. Mm -hmm. What about if it was made into a four way stop? We also looked at that, and it also doesn't support that as well. Uh, color me puzzled. Okay, um, I I suspect the reason why it doesn't support that is because there not enough people don't like this intersection, so they're avoiding it. Um, but uh, my other one of my suggestions for this funding would be is that I noticed something when I was using that lovely new bicycle only pathway that uh, was installed along the um, that crosses over Matilda into the uh, frontage on the um, uh, in, in front of the um, NASA Bayshore um, frontage road there is that if you cross the intersection at Matilda and you get stuck in the middle of the intersection, uh, the bike crossing um, before the signal, uh, because the signal finishes before you can cross all the way, um, there's nothing there that triggers it. <laughs> so you're stuck there. 
through signal after signal after signal. <laughs> I sat there through two, three changes of light before I realized that there was no way for me as a cyclist or a pedestrian on that lovely pathway to get to the rest of the side because there was no sensor or light or anything to, um, to permit me to finish the crossing there. So I think that's a deficiency in that design. Um, are you referring to in the middle of the intersection or? Yeah, yeah. So so there is a refuge area in the middle of the intersection. Um, when you're crossing Matilda, going mm -hmm. in either direction, um, there is a refuge area there. And there's nothing in that refuge area to permit you to trigger the signal a second time, uh, you know, through the normal cycle of traffic lights to complete your crossing. So... Um, we time our that traffic signal at Matilda Moffat Park, or yeah, mm -hmm. one one side of it is the freeway two thirty seven off ramp. Right, right, right. So we time that traffic signal so that a pedestrian can make it all the way across on the walk and don't walk. And um, were you going as a bicyclist? I was going as a bicyclist. I had the green bike thing. It turned to yellow to red. So I was able to cross two lanes of traffic and I ended up in the middle in the refuge where I was supposed to be. And then there was no way for me to get out of the refuge. We can look into that. We're, I, we're not going to install any more sensors out there because we want to, we, um, we're actually timing everything to get people all the way across. If you didn't make it across, we can look into it and see why that <laughs> happened. Okay. Yeah, because yeah. you know, you 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 see that that lovely island there. You mm -hmm. you're you're stuck in the island and there's no way for you to get out of there. Yeah, it, that, that island really wasn't meant as a refuge area for people. Um, and then that's why we have the countdown pedestrian signals with the with the the countdown on there telling you how much time is left. Right. And then um, we have the bicycle signals also. So right. I'll, I'll have my staff look into it and make sure of it. But um, to do that work is actually pretty expensive. And then we try not to do that because everywhere else in the city, we tend to get those, um, the poles end up getting hit. So it, it, I don't want a pedestrian or a bicyclist to be waiting there if i'm having to main if our maintenance crews are replacing them all the time i'm sorry i understand that but i don't want to be waiting there if i get stuck there so it's like i need yeah. to get across i mean there's got to be some we're, way we're, i'll look i'll have my staff look <laughs> into it to make sure you don't just so that the timing we make sure the timing isn't okay stuck, thank stuck. you <laughs> all right um i'll stop talking now i'll let commissioner we speak <laughs> actually regarding that crossing could you put a um a video sensor there when yeah. the that way you just see if someone's there and then trigger it and then you don't have five thousand dollars sensor oh that's expensive one okay <laughs> okay um <laughs> going backwards uh, the, the kennewick helena intersection actually I, I go through that one a lot um not though at peak times typically um but it's actually on one of my training routes that we use for teaching in that part of sunnyvale uh, for cyclists that are coming out of a Cupertino class actually go through that intersection. As so I actually like leave it the way it is for teaching purposes. It's um, not all that dangerous and doing a million dollar upgrade for that seems heavy overkill. Um, although I, I need to observe that maybe during a, a heavy use school time, but um, that because I get a lot of high, uh, high school students use it to get down to the uh, parking lot for the student parking lot at Fremont. Um, so I could see it being a little hard to get across here sometimes. Um, so at any rate, 
the, the proposed, you know, the, the curve extension that was mentioned, it, it, it's, it's a couple, you know, like there's a couple of reasons for it. One of them is to um, shorten the crossing distance for pedestrians. The other one, it, you know, and, and then also to make them more visible to vehicles. And then the other reason is also to make the roadway slightly narrower um, so that, you know, vehicles will slow down. More yeah, I, I could see that. Um, so I need to maybe observe that during a peak use time when there's a lot of kids getting through there trying to get to school. Um, but otherwise, I, I see a lot of other higher priority projects, perhaps, but I could go back and change my mind on that. And back to the Crawford uh, Ave one, I'm glad because that's it's a bike route that's not bikeable right now. We have it as official bike route, but you can't bike through that really narrow passageway most of the time. And if you've got a trailer or if you've got a wheelchair or if you've got a tricycle, you can't make it through that passage at all. Yeah. So it's like, it's not bikeable. So I would like to see that bike that that's on our official bike route become actually bikeable. So I do hope we do the Crawford uh, crossing. So thank you for investigating that further. I'm glad that we can widen that gate. So it's actually ADA accessible and other things. Um, now, if we've got some other, I'm not sure how expensive this is or how easy this is, <clears throat> whether we can use TDA uh, money for, um, fixing the that three the same 352 bike route, um, we could straighten it out. Right now, it sort of zigzags past. Um, it goes down Holland back a little bit, but then it ends up taking a left into Fremont and zigzagging past Nimitz, and ended up heading toward De Anza. But it's not a connection that bicyclists ever use. They don't want to go into Sunnyvale, Saratoga, which which is De Anza. And when you see see the sign that says De Anza, you're thinking De Anza College headed straight down Hollenbeck all the way would be a better bike route than doing the zigzag off into a really obscure spot that there's, there's no good bicycle connection where it terminates. Um, well, you, on, heading south, you can head, head on to Sunnyvale, Saratoga bike lane. Um, but heading north, you can't get to that location as a cyclist um, when you're coming up Sunnyvale, Saratoga. So it's kind of a, it's not a very useful bike route at that end. So straightening that piece out and just having just go up and down Hollenbeck would be more obvious and easier. And then, um, well, hopefully we'll get support at some point for making Hollenbeck even more bike friendly, but that'd be a, a nicer route and more practical route. It's, it's the route that all the cyclists use right now. And to have that other Sunnyvale route veer off of it. Um, there's also, I don't think there's signage for you Do to we have an call. image of that. I'm, I'm like trying to visualize what you're talking about. And I sort of have a vague idea, but so the, the bike route ends up on Hollenbeck for a while, mm -hmm. and then it takes a left onto Fremont, um, and then takes a right onto some back streets around Nimitz School. It's a very obscure bike route. Hardly anyone uses that end of it. Everyone who's going anywhere just goes up and down Hollenbeck. Hollenbeck, yeah. Um, um, I, I do want to point out that this, um, you know, like looking at re-evaluating, um, I guess, is a bicycle route or, you know, some sort of class three. It's not... A, one of the eligible projects using with this funding source. Hmm. Uh, the resolution specifies that it can be used for uh, claims of art for pedestrian but as required by the TDA funding for bicycle projects was established and then it can it was expanded to add quick bills and separated bikeways as eligible projects. And then you have to read through all the whereases. I thought it could be used to improve bike routes. Um, There's a lot of 
exclusive. It can be used to construct, but then this, you know, I think your suggestions would include evaluation and relying and things like that. Construction and or engineering of bicycle pedestrian capital build or quick build maintenance of class one and class four separated bikeways. Bicycle pedestrian safety education programs, no more than 5% of the county total development of comprehensive bicycle pedestrian facility plans, of which we can only do once every five years, and then restriping of class two bike lanes and buffered bike lanes. And then if it's a class one, two, three, or four, it must meet the mandatory minimum safety design criteria as per chapter 1000 of the California Highway Design Manual. Or if it's pedestrian facility, it must meet the mandatory minimum safety design, et cetera. Actually, um, D, funds may not be used for class three projects on arterials or streets with posted speed limits above 25 miles, 25 an, hour. miles an hour. Yeah. That would block it because Hollenbeck's currently. Yeah. Um, we, we need to go to a class two on Hollenbeck for a bike lane, and then we could route the uh, bike route down there. I think there's very few streets in the city, except for the ones directly in front of schools that are that are 25 miles an hour or less. Most of them are 30 and 40s and above. Well, for all our um, collectors, all residential streets are 25 that are just in neighborhoods. Ah. But um, for Hollenbeck, it's a feeder. Or it's a right, whatever. right. And so is Fair Oaks and all those. They're all 40s. Yeah. And so is Tasman. 30s, 35s. Yeah. Well, Fair Oaks and Tasman is 40. and Yeah, at that end. Yeah. Disaster. Um, yeah, in a similar fashion, there's also a, a 353 bike route in northern Sunnyvale <laughs> does this weird thing. We have this great corridor showing up on Borrega Sunnyvale. Shortly, we'll have really good connections. That makes more sense as the bike route rather than this twisty, windy thing that goes through the neighborhood <laughs> to get around Borregas and Sunnyvale Ave. That's another one that could be straightened out um, and make it an obvious practical bike route rather than this other weird thing. But I guess if the, the funds can't, well, actually, maybe the funds can be used for that because we shortly will have a um, a class, or, I mean, a, a bike lane on Sunnyvale, <clears throat> uh, that piece of Sunnyvale. So it would have a full connection for that bike route as signage wise. Um, that's, that's the, those are the two parts of that bike network that have never made sense to me. And I'd like to see them straightened out someday. Um, did we have another, a longer list of other projects? At some point, I think we had an objective of, we could create a list of um, these little smaller projects that TDA uh, funds could be used for. Yeah, I thought we did have a, such a list. I mean, if, if Lillian's or Sang's mentioned a few of them, but I was hoping we'd develop a longer list of alternatives. Like, I think there was a um, a crossing of Mary and near um, oh, there's um, there's a school up there that has a really um, Commissioner Hafman. I think you've mentioned this one in the past. Yeah, Mary and Carson. Yes, that yes, one. That was it. <laughs> that oh, no, that Mary. one. That's a big, hard, that's much much more difficult than the Kennewick, mm -hmm. um, Helena one. That mm -hmm. one really needs something to get people to be able to walk across that. So um, I think that one was discussed previously and that location is gonna be pretty close to the future. Um, Mary Avenue overcross, uh, not overcrossing, great separation location. So, um, 
So that's why for the time being, um, <coughs> it's not one of the ones that staff would recommend just so that, you know, like as we move forward with the Mary. Um, yeah, but it's not specifically part of that project. So I, I think it could be looked at as separate from the Mary Avenue grade separation. Because the location um, is going to be, well, Mary Avenue is going to be the depressed and then you know with other construction going on it's going to be close closely spaced with other intersections so are you saying that that project could actually be accomplished in that same change that's happening no no what i'm saying is that you know with that with the design for for the gray separation you know being that, that's something that we're going to be work on in the future in the near future so um we wanted to understand what might be some of the constraints with Mary, you know, with the trade changing and so forth. Because that location is actually going to be close to the Great Separation location. It's actually one block south of it because the Great Separation can't start at Bidwell. And the jug handle is north of Bidwell yet. Yeah, I think there was a suggestion from the cat from the BPAC actually that uh, this council look into closing bid well to vehicular traffic um because the jug handle is just north of it right and the jug handle has to be at street grade so there's no way there's a grade issue at carson and i think in fact that the thing we were doesn't carson permit traffic to get onto Bidwell by the go round there I have to look Carson at it. Carson is a cross street. Right, you right. You can turn on to Mary either way. It's a residential on both sides. Right. But it, there's a elementary school, Carson school. Mm -hmm. um, so then, um, with the great separation, there's going to be a new signal there where the jug handle comes in. So right. the proximity of the location of the signal, so they're going to be pretty closely spaced. I thought there was a plan to put a hawk signal there in TDA, safe routes to school, isn't there? Um, it was one of the recommendations, but when the recommendations were put together, um, that was before the the great separate the Mary you know great separation project moved forward. So now that we know the great separation is going to move forward, so we, we wanted to make sure um, the design are not you know, the the signals are not going to be too closely spaced. So there might be signal redesigns all along Mary Avenue as a result of the grade separation changes. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, as a result of the grade separation changes, there's going to be a new intersection that will be created where the jug handle is going to come in. Right, but that's north of that location. It has nothing it is, to do with it. Is um, the distance is not that far though? Yes, but I think what we're trying to get to is that if looking at that specific intersection. Typically, we try to not place signalized intersections too close together. All right. Um, it's just a straight quad. Just a straight crosswalk would be nice. <laughs> I think I have a feeling that's a future study issue. <laughs> Is, is updating the intersection at Mary and Carson or something. 
because if it's not a signalized intersection, I'm wondering how the heck um, pedestrians are going to cross. You know, even with the grade separation, that still means traffic is going down Mary and Carson. The jug handle is not going to affect the north south Mary all that much because cars are still going to be it going will up and be down. That. An additional crossing on Mary. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the question is, I, I think Commissioner Haveman has a legitimate question. I mean, it's near a school. It's a, it's a crosswalk that's used by pedestrians. And I understand the city's reluctance to put too many signalized intersections near each other. But if pedestrians need to cross, there's going to have to be some sort of controlled intersection there. So I think what Ms. Sang is trying to tell you is that we wouldn't recommend that being a project as a good fit for TDA funding. Okay. Um, it's anything that you would do, You, if you were looking at putting in a signal, TDA funds would not cover it. We would have to bank it for Fusion. the next yeah. eight to 10 years to, to fund a traffic signal. If we were to fund a Hawk, it would, I we are estimating about one and a half million dollars for a hawk for design and then construction. So then, if we get a hundred thousand each year or two hundred thousand each year, roundabout, it's about five to six, maybe seven years of banking, which we so can't you're bank. saying it's better off to put it in as a study issue and have the council vote on it, and then they would not necessarily, yeah. What, <laughs> if what someone mentioned that it is in the ATP, correct? Is it? Yeah, I, okay. and I think it is in the ATP. Okay. So we, what we can do is, as we're building out safe routes to school and other improvements, we look for grant funding to pay for that. Gotcha. That's why we're saying that some things are not a good fit for TDA because the TDA money is really not that much. Okay. So. I, I, for TDA money, I could suggest something like putting in a um, temporary uh, pedestrian cyclist sidewalk thing on Tasman going on the westbound side rather than just the one we have on the one side of the street. <laughs> like from the um, western entrance of Casa de Amigos down to the end of the block or to where the sidewalk begins actually after the bridge. I would suggest you do that as a steady issue or <laughs> wait for the actual steady issue to come in and, and determine that. <laughs> well. <laughs> but, All right. Stop. So, so we're looking for quick build projects, I guess, is what the thing Either. is or, or lane restru or lane paintings or what have you. So. Yeah, I, I, I would say. So um, because the other suggestions that Commissioner Wee was mentioning about um, altering the bike paths and so it sounds like that those don't qualify as quick build projects or don't qualify under the thing either because it's um, yeah, if, it's not on streets that are 25 miles an hour or less. It's not on a class two, one, one through four bikeway improvement. Oh. The northern one would qualify once the bike lane goes in, I think, maybe. But the southern <laughs> one. What I would, um, I would encourage the vice the BPAC to kind of brainstorm, spitball, 
and throw out ideas for staff. And then um, Lillian, Angela, and Tim will go off and then look at what's feasible with it. Mm -hmm. it's, I think this is taking a lot of time, the feedback loop going back and forth. So if the BPAC would spit, I come up with ideas, we will take copious notes and uh, this, this, this meeting is being video recorded. Right. So that we can go back, watch it. And then at the next meeting, I think what we can do, and then Lillian, tell me if I'm wrong, the but April we can come meeting. back with ideas. Yeah. We'll okay. be back to mm -hmm. select. Commissioner we. I've got another idea. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, let's see. Oh, near Nimitz School, there's a little passageway um, on Cheyenne. And it's awkward right now, but um, for bicyclists, because there's curbs there. It'd be nice if a curb cut were added so the bicyclists get off the street through that and down the other side. So there's, um, that's a little passageway that could be made much more practical for bicyclists to make it through um, and easier. Uh, it's on two ends. And near- um, Cheyenne. Yeah, this is on Cheyenne. Yeah. So Both ends. We we actually have a project out there and we're putting in a crosswalk and we're putting in an RRFB, but feel free to go ahead. Just keep keep spitballing okay. and throwing ideas. Well, Commissioner Bunnay has his hand up. So I want to see if I may what he's got to spitball here. <laughs> I would think uh, I think Commissioner Hafman actually has his hand. up. Oh, first. I'm sorry. Commissioner he's Hafman has got his list. hand up I first. Then Commissioner Bunnay. I'm sorry. Because I wasn't looking at names, I was looking at pictures, and and you have that yellow background, Commissioner Haven. So your hand disappears in it. <laughs> oh, sorry about that. That's um, all right. It's not your fault. It's me for not checking the panelist list. I remember. I think a year ago we talked about that pork chop removal or cut back, and I think that would qualify for this on Murphy and El Camino Real on the north oh. side. If you're riding on El Camino Real, heading northbound, <laughs> brave person. that pork chop just cuts you right into that right lane. I think we talked about that last year as being a project that TDA could take on. So I just wanted to raise it up again. Okay, that's something to look at. Commissioner Bonnet. I believe it was two locations, right? Um, Murphy, Murphy and El Camino. Oh, as um, I believe the street next to it as well. That's right. There are there are two intrusions into the bike lane on the on the north side of El Camino that force the bicyclist south into the into the car lane. Right. Perhaps it's Francis. Francis. Yes. Yes. Mm. You know, we did take a look at it. Um, I have to go back to my notes to see the, the analysis of it. So um, repaving projects. I know we have the slurry seal list, but there is a street that seriously needs some repaving, but it's not on the slurry seal list, I think until 2025. And that is my little favorite um, Morse Avenue hip here <laughs> that has like the tree roots protruding into the, the bike lane. And 
and the potholes. Don't believe this funding could be used for anything. I thought it was. Uh, let me look at um, the article. Lillian, yes. I would just say let's let the BPAC speak. Okay. You take your notes down, and then next week, next month, yeah, we you can, can come get back, back and to tell us. them what's yeah. feasible, what's not feasible, what staff recommends. Come back with an estimate. Can right. you know which portion of Morse? Yeah, actually, it's from Persian all the way up to um, Waddell. Okay, thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Commissioner Dove. Um, Commissioner Bonet was first, followed by Commissioner Dove, and then Commissioner Wee. Thank you. Uh, along the if if the requirement is that the this, the road in question have a speed limit of twenty five or less, then I would urge you to look at Pastoria and what you can do to impose um, traffic calming measures. It is quite common to see cars traveling at much greater than 25 mile an hour down Pastoria. Uh, as a bicyclist, this is unnerving. As a pedestrian, it's, it's uncomfortable. As someone walking a dog and crossing the streets, it's uncomfortable. And in order to get around the the requirement of 25 mile an hour, I would urge you to look at lowering the speed limit on on uh, Hollenbeck from 30 to 25, because as Commissioner Haifman has pointed out many times, this is a vital pathway connecting the that area of Sunnyvale to downtown. And there are no fewer than four schools that use Hollenbeck and Pastoria. So the suggestion is to find a way of both increasing enforcement of existing speed limits on Hollenbeck and on, uh, on Pastoria, imposing traffic calming measures, maybe even removing a lane of traffic or parking, and on Hollenbeck to lower the speed limit to 25 so that it fits into your criteria here. Person Melman. Um, I had said Commissioner Dove was next, followed by Commissioner Wee. So I take it we're discussing only projects on roads that are 25 mile per hour or less. No, no, no. That was just one of the constraints. If you look at Appendix A um, of the uh, TDA article, it will give you examples of projects. Okay, well, I'll just suggest that uh, anyway, it's the pork chop by Matilda and Maud on the northwest corner. If it's still protruding out into the traffic, I would like that to be shaved back. I know it's, it's probably somewhere else, but that was my idea. Thank you. Respond to that too. We are actually starting construction. <laughs> <laughs> it's getting late, please. <laughs> Thank uh, you. <laughs> yes, Commissioner Wee. Oh, okay, last um let's see, Bregas and Weddell, as you come off of the um that bridge there, it'd be nice if there's a curb cut just made so that rather than having to do this really weird, you go left and then you have to go across traffic and right. It, it's you get this very serpentine thing to get onto Bregas when you're heading north. And it'd be nice just to have a you can have a and change the stop sign so it's not a bar. Well, anyway, not stop sign for the traffic, but um, 
you could have a stop sign for the bicyclist that's entering that intersection. And they could be in a spot where they just hop straight onto that bike way or the bike lane heading north in Boregas, rather than having to go over to the crosswalk and riding your bike in the crosswalk. It just straightened it out so you could more easily flow through that as you're heading north. And then south, by the way, you could actually just have a you can, um, another curb cut. So you head south directly and rather than having to hop over onto the crosswalk and then wind around, get bicycle flow basically on that particular intersection moving more smoothly onto and off of the bridge. That should be fairly inexpensive. Just create some, you know, curb cuts there. And this is for Regis and um, I'm, I'm sorry, which street? Regis and Waddell. Yeah. As you get onto the bridge approach there. There's enough space there to do crossing. In fact, you've got a, um, it's kind of, you don't have a, you have a crosswalk there, but it's kind of set up on the south side, Awani and Boregas. It's kind of a little bit of that design, but there's crosswalks there. But this would be for bicyclists only. There, because no cross, there's no um, walkway on the uh, uh, west east side of Boregas. So something to think about. That's it. I have one suggestion. Um, there's no bicycle parking facilities at Wise Wisner Park. Wise Wisner Park. Oh. I'm mispronouncing it. I'm sure. <laughs> Wisner Park. Wisner Park. There were no. I remember when they did the park opening. I was like shocked that there was actually zero bicycle parking there. <laughs> Thank you for mentioning bike parking. Is bike parking an option? Yes. Okay. In the orange and pear parking garages, there's some big bike link lockers that are in a really bad spot. They're just not visible and they're not used. Move them to a spot where cyclists can find them and turn them on. <laughs> Is that an option? They're just... we'll, we'll come back to you. Thank you okay. for the idea. Uh, it's, it's, it's throwing stuff at the wall and seeing Please continue. if come back. Okay. I, I, I'm trying to Bonin. avoid a 20-hour marathon meeting for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Commissioner Bode, yes, it's been a long day for everybody. Commissioner Bode. Thanks for the idea of um, uh, bike parking. But I, I don't have any recollection of hearing what the bike parking situation is at the new city hall. My suggestion, whatever it is, double it and make it covered. Oh, I like the covered bit, yes. And lockers. And double it. <laughs> Um, and uh, wayfinding is also on the list, guys. <laughs> <coughs> I thought the bike route was wayfinding. <laughs> well, <laughs> it just says wayfinding signage is, you know, other provisions that facilitate things that, you know. And uh, hawk beacons and stuff like that are also part of the, the stuff. So they're one and a half million. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. Um, I think, I think that was all the stuff we we're going to throw at you guys. Thank you. Thank you for being patient with it. Okay. So I guess we have public comment on that because we're not voting on anything. Let me go back to my poor little script here. There we go. So yes, we have public comments on this item. Let me go back to the agenda. Do we have any members of the public wishing to speak? Seeing none. 
Okay, seeing no members of the public wishing to speak, I'm closing public comment on item number uh, 230336. Going to the next item, 230337, report and discussion of recent Santa Clara Valley Transportation Authority Bicycle and Pedestrian Advisory Commission Committee meeting. <laughs> Do we have a staff report? I have a, a section of notes that I that I sent in. I think if you have it, Ms. Tseng, handy, it would be useful for the fellow commissioners to see it uh, in writing because there is a lot to it. And I will highlight only a few sections. There are also some interesting graphs that the VTA shared with us. <clears throat> so the first section was on the BART phase two extension. Mm. which has been funded with considerable money from the state and it now qualifies for $4 billion of federal contribution. And at the bottom of the report, there's a diagram of the, the possible alterations to the tunnel design. It was in, originally envisioned, envisioned as a stacked tunnel, one, one track above the other one. But mm. the current um, thinking is to make it a a side-by-side -side tunnel, which increases the diameter of the tunnel, however, makes it much more convenient when swapping from one train direction to another. <clears throat> next, um, if you have input on the next revision of the Community Design and Transportation Manual, um, that will be presented in March. The input is due before March 7. This is item two here. Your input is due to Lola Torney at vta.org. Mm -hmm. And VTA is looking for help in volunteering to score the applications for the next round of Measure B grants. The number of applications expected from the various communities is on the order of eight. They hope uh, to get three people to help with the evaluation and scoring of these. If you're interested or have questions about this, the email address is listed under point four three. 2016 measure B at vta.org. <clears throat> Next, uh, let's skip down to item six. There was a, a presentation by the Climate Action and Adaptation Plan. This was an, an up, a, a VTA award granted by Caltrans. And shown, I thought was interesting, a, a current projection of greenhouse gas emissions in the transportation sector. And that, that plot is also excerpted below. Mm. If you want to scroll down to that. The interesting about it is the planned or the expected decrease in greenhouse keep going. There's a, there's a plot all the way at the bottom. Yeah, this one here. Wow. The countywide transportation greenhouse gas emission forecast. So the red dotted line on the top is the vehicle miles traveled. And you see there a steady increase from, maybe you blow it up from 2,000 million to 10,000 million. In other words, 4 billion to 10 billion miles. And with the expected conversion of transportation modes, to electric, in uh, including cars and trains and buses, the transportation share of greenhouse gas emissions is projected to go down as shown in these charts. Um, 
I didn't get a sense that uh, there was a, a estimate on, on how optimistic or pessimistic this is, but this is these are the data presented. This and is only on VTA vehicles, correct? No, this was on the county-wide transit as a whole. Okay. Including VTA and personal. All right. Uh, scroll back up, please. We'll continue from point uh, seven. Okay. So the VTA bike and pedestrian overview of their staff activities. So they, uh, the staff provided a breakdown of how they spend their time. And it's primarily devoted to planning and policy and programming and project delivery. And then the other activities are their support bike and pedestrian access to transit. And then finally, community education and encouragement. The, they presented the priorities for 2023, which are unchanged from last year, the countywide bike and pedestrian safety campaign, the, the support engineering of Bascom Complete Streets and the Homestead Safe Route to School. The replacement, this is quite interesting, of 100% of the VTA bike lockers. And they're collaborating with the grants team to fund the Homestead bike lane and central bikeway projects. And let's scroll down a bit more um, to item further of interest to us. Uh, item 10, the Better Bus Stops program. So VTA is planning to replace all of their old infrastructure and that is the by that they mean the the structures on the street where people wait for buses and trains or actually primarily buses with with um, new materials and primarily this means benches shelters lights trash cans and signs they have greater than 3200 stops in the whole system however the uh number of stops addressed by this <clears throat> is going to be smaller than that. So far, they've completed 80 so far with 400 shelters yet to go. And 500 trash cans will be replaced with painted steel. 500 concrete trash will be replaced with painted steel. And if you scroll down, there's a, a very easy to see overview of this project. There you go. So. These are the list of things to be replaced, installed, and a, a column showing what's been done in 22 and what's planned for 23. That was, those were the highlights of the meeting. Thank you, Commissioner Bonet. Um, do we have any, oh. Commissioner, we <laughs> thank Commissioner Bonet for getting this into the uh, our minutes because it's really helpful to be able to read this, not just listen to it and have pictures. It's great. Thank you so much. Yeah, yeah especially this time when there was there were really a lot of charts. I thought it would be helpful for you all to to see those. Yes. Um, do we have any members of the public wishing to speak on this item? Okay, no. seeing no members of the public wishing to speak, I'm closing uh, public comments. I'm moving on to uh, the next item. Uh, we have consideration of potential study issues. 
And moving on to the next, we have commissioner comments time. Commissioner Wee. Um, yeah, I have a quick question for staff. Um, near my house, a right of as it intersects Fremont, there used to be some bike symbols painted on the um, there so you could hover over them to trigger the light and they've been scrubbed off. And I was curious why that happened. So it's, it's the little stubby part of Wright Ave heading south as you're trying to cross Fremont. And then heading north, they're still there, but heading south, they've been scrubbed off. And is there a project plan there? Is there what, what's happening at that location? Um, there was a, maybe if you can't figure it out now, then maybe uh, later. Um, that's one comment or question. <clears throat> the other thing is, um, Back to the bike parking in Pear and Orange, I think those are city garages. Um, there's also some great um, uh, bike link lockers underneath Target, but maybe that's owned by, I don't know who owns that, but there is a great location. I wish I could use the bike lockers there, but they're turned off. And it's like, why? If, it's, if city staff has any idea why those are non-functional, that was my question. Why the um, bike link lockers underneath Target, you couldn't use them anymore. And final question is um, under Plaza del Sol, that parking garage under there would be an awesome place to teach safe bicycling. Is that actually a TDA uh, thing that could be used? Uh, I know they have education there because they've got most of like parking garages is fenced off and you can't get it to it because uh, they close it off for cars. Recently, the um, pedestrian access has been left open. So bicycles get down there and be a really nice, safe, car-free spot to teach people how to ride and do other biking activities away from cars. And it's also weatherproof, whether that could be used for doing some bike education. It would be a really awesome location that seems to be totally underutilized. That's it. Thanks. Thank you, Commissioner Wee. Commissioner Haifman. Thank you. Yeah, I just have a comment about uh, Fair Oaks Park. Last mm -hmm. Saturday morning, we had a compost workshop there. And it's a beautiful facility. The park was extremely crowded. The playing fields, I've never seen so many kids on the playing fields. But there wasn't a parking place anywhere to be found in the park or even a half mile radius from the park. Too many people drive and that park's got a huge parking lot. It was completely packed full. People were parking illegally and the people came to our workshop. They had some of them had to walk up to a half mile to get to the park. This goes to show that we really made to make an effort and making sure there's a safe route to this park so fewer people drive to get there. Anyhow, that's my comment. I have a sneaking suspicion they were parking at Lowe's. <laughs> Commissioner Bonet. Uh, on a question on, on uh, how do residents get traffic, traffic calming measures installed. I've heard from quite a few people at the intersection of Yukon and Cascade, which is one which is used by kids going to Nimitz Elementary, that cars rush through there who are trying to bypass the light at Sunnyvale, Saratoga and Fremont. So the the addition of a, of a crosswalk across Yukon or other traffic calming measures is something that apparently the residents have asked for. And it would be interesting to know how they go about actually achieving change there. Um, so the city has a traffic calming um, 
policy and program, and um, you should be able to find more information on the city website. I can I can send you the information or the link. Thanks. Thank you, Commissioner Bome. Do any yeah. other commissioners have any comments? I was going to add to that, and the other that that I'll send you the link in, with information about the program. But then um, the other you know the way to submit a request will be through access to any bureau. Okay, thank you, Ms. Sang. Do we have any more staff comments? Actually, the the web page details how to how to submit the request. It's actually if you submit a request, we're gonna send you a link to it and tell you that you need to submit a petition from the neighborhood. So I would look at the policy first and then that has all the, it has a sample petition and all the information on the website. Thank you, Mr. Ng. Any more staff comments? Um, so a commissioner's comments are completed or? I'm assuming so since uh, I saw no further hands raised. Um, so we do have a few um, announcements. The city council held um, the study issue and budget workshop budget proposal workshop today. Mm -hmm. I want to report some of the results that came out from that um, workshop. DPW 2306 evaluate range of options for shuttle services and alternative transportation options for Fremont and Homestead High School. Students who live in North Sunnyvale was ranked number one um, under the DPW department. Um, DPW 2101 bike links on Hollenbeck Avenue between El Camino and Homestead Road was ranked number three. Um, DPW 2308 defined metrics that the city will use to evaluate the city's progress on bicycle and pedestrian infrastructure for future report was ranked number five. Um, city Council deferred DPW 2305 Vision Zero redesign on Boregas Avenue. City Council um, dropped DPW 23-02 develop a safe routes to parks master plan and they also dropped um, FIN 22-01, explore a general election ballot measure to fund bicycle and pedestrian infrastructure projects. Um, in May, um, during the budget um, workshop, then um, staff will propose um, budget to implement um, diff the different study issues. And at that point, um, council will make a decision on um, where to draw the line in terms of um, funding opportunities for these study issues. I will say that the finance issue was dropped because of uh, a no change in the state law in terms of two thirds votes for um, for tax changes, which is what this issue would have been considered, so. And then um, additional comments, um, announcement that we have, a new later crosswalk um, has been installed on the Westlake of the intersections of California and Pajaro and is currently operational. A, um, buffer bike lane has been installed on Maud Avenue between, between the West city limits and, um, and approaching um, Matilda Avenue. And as part of that project, um, two stage bike boxes have also been installed at three different intersections, Mary and Maud, Pastoria and Maud, and Makara and Maud. Um, the Sunnyville Safe House to School project um, construction will be starting soon, and that project includes um, installing bike lane on Sunnyville Avenue um, between Handy and 
MOD, as well as um, doing intersection improvements at MOD and Matilda and MOD and Borregas, which includes removing the Park Islands at those locations. Yeah. Um, also, as a reminder, the City Club has sent out an email regarding the seating arrangements for future in-person meetings um, to be held at the city um, at the council chamber. Um, so um, please let us know let, if you have any questions or comments regarding the seating arrangements. And I believe uh, Mr. Lee has an announcement as well. Yes, uh, it's more of an update. I'll respond to uh, Commissioner Dave that um, um, it's an update for that. Because uh, has a concern regarding to Moped Park multi-use multi trial project. That um, so we um, currently under construction, and then we have looked into your concern, and we have worked with the contractor to add some additional signage to enhance the safety for bicyclists along the between Moffat Park, uh, Matilda, between Matilda and Enterprise. So um, hopefully, um, and then we also let our inspector know to uh, make sure that contractor to follow the traffic control plan um, out there. Um, please let us know uh, if you have any additional questions or concerns regarding to that. I think that concludes my update. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Uh, if we have no more staff comments, um, proceed. We have information only report items. I don't believe we have any updates on that. We uh, went through our deferred study issues already. <laughs> Um, the active items list for January 2023 and the item number 230339, which is our annual work plan. So if you're wondering what's coming up for future meetings, refer to that annual work plan. It's very helpful. Um, if we have no more uh, information, nothing after that, then I will formally adjourn this meeting at 1035 p.m. Uh, and I, for February 16th, 2023, and I really thank you for your participation <laughs> on this, everyone, for 